Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 901, recorded Sunday, November 13th, 2022. Weaponized FOMO. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Worldwide Technology and HPE. With an innovative culture, thousands of IT engineers, application developers, unmatched labs, and integration centers for testing and deploying technology at scale, WWT helps customers bridge the gap between strategy and execution. To learn more about WWT, visit WWT.com slash twit. And by OnLogic. OnLogic is helping innovators around the world solve their most complex technology challenges using OnLogic industrial computers. Engineered for reliability, even in environments that would challenge or destroy traditional computer hardware. Learn more and find out about OnLogic's 30-day risk-free hardware trial by visiting onlogic.com slash twit. And by Mint Mobile. Get premium wireless service from just 15 bucks a month with no unexpected plot twists. You'll make your wallet very happy by going to mintmobile.com slash twit. And by Noom. With their psychology-first approach, Noom Weight empowers you to build more sustainable habits and behaviors. Sign up for your trial at Noom. Dot com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. This is going to be a fun-filled episode. David Spark is here, host and producer of CISO Series. He's all about the security. Known David since tech TV days. Hello, David. Good to see you. That's 1998. <laughs> It's, that's a long time. Wow. Somebody four years, Leo. S- somebody on the YouTube buys old crap. <laughs> and I was watching his YouTube. Actually, somebody else was and They sent me a link watching his YouTube channel. And he found a DVC recorder and with it a handful of DVC Pro tapes of the Call for Help show. <laughs> and I, te- I, I sent him, I commented on his YouTube, I said, dude, that's how we recorded the show. Those could be masters. That's probably not a dub. That's probably a master. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great to see you, David. Thank you for joining us. I don't know why I brought that up. Also here, there's other things to talk about, believe me. Amy Webb, CEO of the Future Today Institute, our favorite futurist. Hi, Amy. Hey, Leo. She's just back from a 10-mile hike with the Girl Scouts. Or what is Actually... With the scouts. So my daughter is in one of the first and only all girls Boy Scout troops. Isn't that cool? And okay. uh, they're all working towards their Eagle Scout badges. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Um, and we just did a, uh, I mean, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't brutal, but it was a pretty steep, um, steep hike. It was backpacking and then it was backcountry camping. Uh, so everything you carry in and everything you carry out wow. and it was snowing and cold. And Is this for a badge or just for fun? This was just for grit <laughs> and experience. And you have so it. No, you have grit. <laughs> uh, I, I have some. I used to do a lot of that when I was younger and my hips didn't hurt like they did today, but I took uh, some anti-inflammatory medication with me there you and go. managed to get through it. 
We, uh, you know, I was at the Veterans Day Parade on Saturday or Friday and uh, the scout troop came and it was half girls. Yeah. And it yeah. reminded me, yeah, it's scouting now. It's just scouting. Yeah, it's scouting. It's, um, you know, the Girl Scouts kind of tap out at some point and th- this is really about, this troop is amazing and it's all about um, leadership and sort of being independent and um, building confidence and it's really incredible. The troop leaders are amazing. There are, there was the first female Eagle Scout was Isabella Ours was Tunney. one of them. That is not her, but our, we, we have one of the first. Look um, at all those merit badges. <laughs> 137 of them. It's, wow. I will tell you, it is no joke. And these kids are, these kids are tough. They are resilient. Um, if you've got a daughter or a son or, or a person, a non-binary person, um, I, I'll put a good word in for scouts. It, it really is pretty great. That's a, by the way, transformation for uh, yeah. BSA. So I'm very, very glad to hear that. And I love it that there are women Eagle yeah. Scouts now. That's fantastic. Welcome, Amy. Good to have you. Thanks. Thank uh, you. And the digital Jesuit, because David said, who are you? What is this DJ? He is the digital Jesuit, Father Robert Balliser. Hello, Robert. Oh, I'm sorry, Leo. I didn't realize you had come in. <laughs> <laughs> You're way too cool for school. Uh <laughs> Great to see you, Padre, in the, the Vatican. When we uh, go out there to visit you in April, Robert says, let's do the show. We'll do Twit from this, this roof overlooking the Vatican. I Can we do it? This one. <gasps> can we do that? We absolutely can. I mean, th- this, this view right here is about 10 steps from my office oh my. on the same floor. So... I just move a few monitors and some cables, and we're good to we're go. We're going to do it. It's a deal. April. Yeah. Deal. Benito says you're going to need an engineer for that. Yeah, Benito, we'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> we will take you. So what a week we have had. Uh, it's, not, it's not normal that I would have two stories vying for our lead, but there are two massive stories, and they are somewhat interlocking, I think. There's, of course, the collapse of FTX and of crypto in general, and then the ongoing uh, pyre at Twitter. Let, let's start with Twitter, because we've been talking before the show, and we all have strong opinions about this. The latest Twitter news is uh, coming out, and again, a lot of this news... <laughs> they, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, the Verge. Somebody tried to contact uh, Elon Twitter for a comment, and, and the response was, "Twitter has no communications department anymore." So there's no way to no way to really know uh, if any of this is true or not. But the latest seems to be true, which is that uh, 4,400 contract employees were summarily terminated. Uh, this weekend that's on top of the 50 percent that they dumped that's on top of the employees so they they yeah. dumped somewhere around three thousand to four thousand employees many of whom have asked but has to come back uh but then now the latest is these contract employees and it seems to be they didn't tell them ahead of time they just disconnected their slack they disconnected their tools and disconnected their company email because you know what they're just contractors and uh, of course, they yeah, get no. Unfortunately, that's a security issue, though. That yeah. I, I mean, Half it doesn't. Those... Well, they could send an email at the same time saying, "We're terminating your contract." They apparently neglected to do that. I, uh, which is I could, listen with the amount of animosity right now. I can absolutely, if it was me, 
I don't know, David should speak to this, but if I was the CISO or if I was the, the CISO, oh, yeah. by the way, quit. <laughs> yeah, the they don't have a CISO. Well, well, I would have shut everything down first also. I mean, it's not the humane, nice thing to do, but it's the safe well, thing to do. That is, by the way, the process. When people leave, the, the security department does a process of, you know, closing accounts, removing access, things like that. It's all, you know, you know identity uh, management. Um and if you're doing things that quickly, I don't see how you can physically shut that many people down that quickly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't see how that's possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I feel for anybody laid off, there were 11,000 layoffs at Meta this week also. I mean, this is a tough time. A lot of those employees, um, Meta handled it kind of dramatically differently than uh, Twitter handled it. Uh, but it's hard to lose a job, whether or not you get severance, whether, you know, you get, uh, you know, health care and so forth. You're you're still out of work. So uh, according to Casey Newton on the platformer um, uh, newsletter, contractors aren't being notified at all. They're just losing access to Slack and email. Managers figured it out when their workers just disappeared from their system. So there is normally some notification, even if it happens after the fact. The Stripe is the good example, right? So the, C, the Stripe oh, also yeah. has some layoffs, and in the middle of every the catastrophe that was happening at Twitter and Meta, I think that um, the the letter that was public, you know, they didn't sign it. By the way, Stripe they signed it the names of them, like the CEO, you know, their actual names were signed, and it was um, humane and honest. And I think if it's got to be done, that's a much nicer way to do it. I I do wonder the, though the big issue. Go ahead. Is the fact that they've they let go a huge chunk of infrastructure workers, uh-huh. and according to some reports, they let go of some infrastructure workers in the middle of changes. Th- that's a recipe for a disaster for a company that has already let go so many of their engineers. They don't know what most of the moving parts do. Uh, so well, right now it's coasting on inertia. We are actually watching the disaster unfold. Is what we're actually watching. <laughs> Can I add a disaster to this disaster? Because nobody's really talking about it yet. So because of the inflation rate, there are a lot of companies that still have pensions, uh, where people who are anywhere close to be like, if you're close to retirement and you do the math, and it it works out that you're gonna if you if you put in those last two years of work, you're effectively working for free. Um, those people are taking early retirement and that's all happening between now and the end of the month we are going to see tens of potentially tens of thousands of um, people who are retiring all at once on top of all of these people who are now out of work there's going to be disastrous economic consequences that i don't think we're prepared for let me ask uh, david because you you do cover cso's uh how the cso of twitter departed he left with the head of trust, Joel Roth, who had been kind of tweeting and trying to calm people down, and the head of advertising, and a number of uh, executives, and they all left. Why? At the same time? Well, some were let go, some chose to go. Both things. I actually don't know specifically the reason why the CISO left, but I mean, I do. You You want to know? Talking about it here. (laughs) You want to know? So, uh, there was an internal uh, Slack message from an unnamed lawyer saying, uh, in internal, in Twitter, saying, um, look, we've lost all the compliance people. We Ouch. are under an FTC consent decree, which we've already paid a, more than $100 million 
for. The consent decree says before tw- get listen to this before Twitter rolls out any new feature, it has to be vetted for security, and you have to tell us the FTC how what you're doing and how secure it is. This message went out saying we're very concerned because this compliance is now on the head of engineering. You are responsible for certifying the compliance to the consent decree of any new feature you roll out. There's no one above you to do it. Uh, at which point there was a mass head for the door exit because people don't want to be responsible uh, for that. They, he quoted uh, the, I guess, the de facto chief counsel, which is Elon Musk's personal lawyer, saying, this is a man who launches rockets. He's not scared of the FTC. Uh <laughs> To to which some reported that, that's apples and oranges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To which that's some that's reported, look, fine. you've already been fined 114 million dollars. The next one's going to be another comma over. That this is really serious. And of course, the same day President Biden, when asked about this, said, "Yeah, we're going to keep an eye on this." Um, and I think that part of the reason the CISO left is that there's some serious concern about liability landing on his shoulders. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> that is, by the way, the big discussion that's been happening among CISOs. So I'll, I'll rope in the Joe Sullivan, you know, Uber story as well. When that broke and he was found guilty, that was uh, all CISOs started to worry for themselves. And this became a big issue about um, getting an employment agreement when you take on the role of a CISO. But, there is no similarity, I believe, between Joe Sullivan and the CISO of Twitter who just left. It, there is none whatsoever um, here. And, you know, CISOs, um, we, we were talking about this on our show re- recently about, about burnout, about cybersecurity professionals. If, if you've got bad culture and unreasonable expectations, looks like the formula we got here. That is cybersecurity burnout, and that's why people leave. So it is like the magical formula that's happened at Twitter. So that's why you are getting people burnt out and a mass exodus, not just of Elon's doing, but others choosing to go. Because there's no question, to have Twitter on your resume and to be available in the cybersecurity space right now, you will be snatched up immediately. I mean, every CISO we have on our shows, well, not every, I'll say almost every, is looking to hire. So- if you worked in cybersecurity and you were in tw- at Twitter, you will have no problem finding another job. Uh, the, so let me, uh, first of all, correct myself. The CISO was a woman, Leah Kistner. Yes, so Leah. I apologize, not he, she. Uh, Leah Kistner left. Oh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, thinking, I, I'm sorry. I take that back. Isn't, I think Leah is a male. No, no. Is, Leah's a woman. Am I wrong? I checked. Oh, excuse my ignorance. It could be. It could be Lee. It could be Leah. I checked. Uh, Chief Privacy Officer Damon Kieran. Damon Kieran. Chief Compliance Officer Marianne Fogarty all left at the same time. Um, now, at, 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 I've got a story from Bloomberg from a few days ago in which Spiro, who's Elon's uh, lawyer, said Twitter has spoken to the FTC. Its first compliance check is upcoming. But he said, don't worry, the legal department is handling it. Didn't didn't somebody, didn't one of the GCs send a slack or yeah. something to the remaining Twitter. Yeah. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah. About the, the whistleblowing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty. He, they, he said you should yeah. all become whistleblowers. This right. is internal. Well, it wasn't you. I mean, wasn't it more like if you choose to, to disclose you are covered, you know, you should know that you are covered by, I mean, by the, you know, whistleblowing law in the United States. Wasn't it? Yeah. Ver, I mean, 
It was so, just reaching out and saying you, you could have some personal liability here. So well, that's a good question. Do so that's a question that I have. About. Okay, so that's one question I've got for all of you. Maybe David mostly. So if you're, you know, if you were chief privacy officer, compliance officer, CISO, do you assume personal liability if something goes wrong, or is no. that no? That's okay, the so, that's the employment agreement that I was referencing okay. earlier. Is yeah, you know, CISO, they were they were CISOs leaving because they don't want to that, be. Yeah. Are, are making a huge mistake. Right. So they would not have been, per- I mean, they were leaving because they don't want to either be a part of what's happening or they, they don't, don't want to deal with the no. aftermath of what's happening. And that's the Got other it. thing is that CISOs do not, and, you know, security professionals do not own risk, don't okay. own cybersecurity risk of the company. Their job is to explain risk to the business leaders, and it is for the business leader to take on the risk. Who's saying, if you do this, and compliance is a perfect example of it because that is a very known risk where there's a very clear financial loss that can be had if you are not compliant. I mean, it's as it's clear as day right there. Is, there. is there like a medical, you know how there's malpractice? Is there such a thing as malpractice in risk and compliance and security? I mean, there's always some, like something that's analog, not, analogous to malpractice. The company, right, where you the could, company could say in the contract, we indemnify you against any judgments from the FTC but okay. there's always a risk if the FTC sa- sees that this employee knew that something bad was happening and didn't do anything about it. I don't care if the company indemnifies indemnifies you. I feel like that employee is somewhat at risk, okay, and has okay. some responsibility. Am I wrong, David? You can't you can't say, oh, I, you know, it's not my fault. Uh, look at my contract. The, no, yeah. So the job of the CISO is to communicate the risk situation like okay if we don't do this if we don't meet this compliance regulation or this this regulation which is a a compliance requirement then you will be fined this it is very clear if we don't do this you know we don't have endpoint protection out here then there's a possibility someone's going to break in our network that's going to increase our risk level to here are you aware of that and one of the big things CISOs do when they're explaining risk to the business is they say, here's what the risk situation is for not doing this. We can spend X dollars to reduce this risk. Um, are you aware of that? Do you want to spend that as money? As long they as say, he no, alerted- I want to spend this money. Then they have to sign off on the risk. That's a key yeah. thing. They have to actually sign. I acknowledge this is a risk. Right. But I'm what's the report? Okay. So fine. What does that mean though? If, if it that turns means out that it was communicated to them what the situation was. Right. But what's the were, repercussion is my Well, let me let me read this thing. By the way, this well, comes it's just really a paper trail is what we're looking. This at. comes from Alex Heath at The Verge, who says uh, we know who this person inside Twitter is. Obviously, we're not going to reveal that they looked uh, at the Slack message and wrote this in a note posted to Twitter's Slack and viewable to all staff. An attorney on the company's privacy team wrote, quote, Elon has shown, this is somebody inside, Elon has shown his only priority with Twitter users is how to monetize them. I do not believe he cares about the human rights activists, the dissidents, our users in unmonetizable regions, and all the other users who've made Twitter the global town square you've all spent so long building and we all love. Uh, It says he has heard that Alex Spiro, the current head of legal, says that Elon's willing to take on a huge amount of risk in relation to this company. Musk's new legal department is asking engineers, and this is a good question for 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 you, David, to quote self-certify compliance with FTC rules and other privacy laws. This is in that lawyer's note, and the Verge checked another employee familiar with the matter 
said the same. Uh, and so at that point, the lawyer said, if you're being asked to do anything you're uncomfortable with, become a whistleblower. If if you were uncomfortable, you knew there was something bad, nobody upstairs was willing to hear it or sign off on it, do that process, that orderly process you're talking about, David. I think you have to go to the FTC at that point, don't you? You can't just sit well, on it. This, I mean, you know, if you see, see someone being negligent, but also you may have NDAs that you've signed as an employee. Oh, but you that's know? why you go whistleblower, because that, uh, that obviates the NDA. Yeah, or yes. I mean, but th- it sounds like there's no obligation other than may- maybe a moral obligation. Well, certainly a moral to, obligation. You know, yeah. you, that's right? the thing is, like, for example, one of the things we hear a lot from CISOs is, you know, I'm not running the business. It's my job to reduce the risk, communicate the risk, and do my best on that. If someone chooses to do something that I don't agree with, it's not my responsibility because I'm not running the business. Mm-hmm. So I'm just communicating to that. But it's very, very important that they acknowledge they understand it and they sign off on it, which I'm sorry. Let, let's just get into the grander discussion of business. Businesses are in the business. and All businesses take on risk, not just cybersecurity risk. There's all kinds of risk. So they have to acknowledge it. Some, you know, some people are riskier investors than others. Uh, you can't bring, you know, cyber risk down to zero. So you're willing to take certain risk in certain areas to maybe open up the business to do other things. And that is pretty clear. That's what Elon is doing here. Um, he's taking oh, a lot of risks. This is I what actually the- think Elon is doing something different. Oh, I, good. I think he is. And that is- hold on. Hold the thought because we're going to get to I that. I will hold it. I really want to know because that's the next step. We're just talking about all the horrible things that have happened. And I don't want to know why. <laughs> uh, the the final paragraphs of this uh, lawyer's Slack message is, all of this is extremely dangerous for our users. Also, given that the FTC can and will fine Twitter billions of dollars Pursuant to the FTC consent order, extremely detrimental to Twitter's longevity as a platform. Our users deserve better than this. I would guess this person's gone, by the way, by now. If you feel uncomfortable about anything you're being asked to do, call Twitter Ethics Hotline or submit a report. Please note the FTC's number is FTC Help. You may also remember that Mudge reached out to whistleblowerade.org. I wish you all luck. <laughs> it's been an honor to work with all of you. That is... That is a uh, uh, you know career suicide note if I ever uh, I've ever heard one. There have been I have seen a lot of people warning. Uh, it, the the security status of Twitter is now unknown. That if you have you should never have had anything private in your DM. But if you do, get you know erase your DMs, download your data. Uh, is there? Do you think there's cause for concern about the security of Twitter? Robert? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, this not? goes back to the FTC agreement. I remember in the 2011 FTC agreement, in Part B, this was the this was the nuts and bolts part of the of the 2011 agreement. It says that there has to be someone or some ones who are specifically designated by name to be accountable for. And accountable is a very important legal word for the information security program. There is no one like that at Twitter. They have all quit. So that means that the company is now in material breach of the FT, of the 2011 FTC agreement. If they are in breach of the 2011 FTC agreement, that means that you cannot count on them to secure any of the data that they currently have. And if there's any well, question they, about well, how, by the way, they can name, by the way, they can name quote any individual to quote be in charge, even though they have, don't technically have a CISO anymore. And by the way, that's interesting that you brought that up, uh, Padre, because 
you will see there's a lot of new com- or a lot of companies that have been around for a long time that are all of a sudden getting their very first CISOs now. Yes. Yes. Uh, they're, they're growing up. Yes. Senator Ed Markey. So now let's get to the impersonation problem, because that's another thing that happened this week. Remember, yeah, pretty that humorous, I must say. It was very funny. <laughs> Not it was some. actually, some of it might have been funny. Some of it was really catastrophic, some of especially it, if you were oh, Eli yeah. Lilly. Not the Eli Lilly situation. Yeah. Well, yes, that also. and uh, But like Nintendo, you know, which was Mario flipping for five off seconds. The right, but there were a lot Mario. of horrific images, and that happened in the middle of, of the night for Japan. I actually talked to some of my friends there. You know, that, that was nothing that anybody was preparing for at like two o'clock in the morning. So, as we know, Elon says for eight bucks, you can buy uh, a blue check, which prior to this meant authentication. There was a lot of back and forth uh, for a while, for like five minutes. Marquez Brownlee tweeted, look, not only do I have a blue check, but now it says uh, this is a, an official account. I have a gray check. And then Elon replied, no, not anymore. <laughs> that went away. Uh, apparently they put a hold on, on they, you can still buy Twitter blue for eight ninety nine, but you won't get a blue check. They put a hold on that. But in the, but in between those times, there were people impersonating authenticated impersonating Elon. Kathy Griffin got booted off the platform for saying she was Elon. Uh, Elon said, you could do this, but you have to say it's a parody account. Senator, way, didn't Facebook do that for a while? They sort of labeling things parody and that, that seemed to go away. Yeah. I mean, the problem with parody and this is the well, famous it's, it's onion. Whose definition of parody, right? Well, and this is also the famous onion pleading in the uh, in the Supreme Court cases. If it has to be labeled parody, that kind of takes some of the fun out of Stephen it. Stephen right? Colbert had a joke about this the <laughs> other day, where he, where he told the chicken cross the road joke, but set it up with explaining that he was about to tell. A I'm joke. about to tell a joke. <laughs> Kills the joke, right? Yes. Ed Markey tweeting Senator Markey, the Senator Markey, a Washington Post reporter was able to create a verified account impersonating me. I'm asking for answers from Elon Musk, who's putting profits over people and his debt over stopping disinformation. He sent a letter to uh, Musk, of course, as as senators uh, like to do. And then he tweeted, one of your companies, Elon, is under an FTC consent decree. Auto safety watchdog Nitsa is investigating you for another company of yours for killing people. And you're spending your time picking fights online. Fix your companies or Congress will. To which Elon Musk replies to Senator Markey and the Washington Post, perhaps it's because your real account sounds like parody. That's not a smart way to respond to a senator. No, it really isn't. <laughs> That's not a good idea. Uh, but I understand. You know what? I kind of understand from that point of view. Elon's basically a 13-year-old. And, you know, them's fighting words. I'm not going to take I'm not going to take it. Um. <laughs> So what's uh, if we covered everything? Should we do more on the impersonation things? Because this is crazy. Well, it, it, it's just the whole it, it violated the whole principle of the, of the blue check, right? And and, and it, we, by the way, Twitter has this long history of when people come up with a really bad idea that everybody knows is a bad idea, they exploit it, and it is exposed instantaneously like i i think about the that microsoft tay ai thing they did a while ago and that how, was more of a microsoft problem to be fair than a twitter problem. <laughs> oh yeah it was a microsoft i'm just but i'm just talking about problems in general that the community realizes are stupid so 
it always amuses me that like, oh, I think we'll just do this and people will go along. But if people don't like it and realize the fallacy in it, they'll prove very quickly the fallacy like they did with what Elon did, like they did with the Microsoft AI situation. So uh, one of the fake accounts was Eli Lilly. Yes, uh, in which, this was a bad one. Yeah, in which uh, the fake account with an authorized blue check. I think by now everybody knows a blue check's meaningless, so this could only have been um, done. I actually, Leo, I don't actually know that that's true. Really? And I think that was part of the problem. Right. I think we're, we're more in the know. Not everybody's right, I, as in the know as we are here. I, I think the challenge is that not everybody knew that. And for one tweet that I think probably those of us listening to this recognized was not true, um, you know, it it moved the market and it didn't just explain, move the market explain for Amy what happened. So, uh, right. So the, there was a, you want to show it? Yeah. Um, I'll, there was I'll a, show it. Um, my jumping ahead. So there was a tweet, uh, from, from what looked like a, an authentic Eli Lilly account. Yeah. Um, that said insulin is it's now gone free. now. So that's why it's not, I think it's yeah. not showing. So it basically was like insulin is now free. Yeah. Um, it was not taken down and, uh, it didn't, it didn't, sound official there was no like if that was true you would usually see a press release and some more but again yeah. we're talking about a wide sort of birth of people who who may not be as savvy um but it it had a market impact so it was what 3.4 percent or i forget yeah, what the actual 20 billion, billion in market value well but then it had it, it yeah. also had an impact on its competitors so that was sanofi yes. and nova nordisk so again from my point of view it seems that there's liability here because this was an avoidable, this was a situation that, that Twitter caused. Uh, and so, Eli again, Lilly, like I think the FTC is well within its rights to investigate. Eli Lilly, uh, on, their, on their actual official account, which now has both a, a, a blue check and an official check, we apologize to those who have been served a misleading message from a fake Lilly account. Our official Twitter account is LillyPad, which perhaps is not the best... Uh, no, Twitter handle not, for no. an official uh, account. The, the fake one sounded more official. It was Eli Lilly and company, right? That was mm -hmm. the handle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. I think the stock will come back. Obviously, it's bogus. Uh, so that's not the issue. The issue is it raised awareness that Eli Lilly is, in fact, gap price gouging on insulin. Right. right. And so and again, there is... I, that, that's, that's not brand new news. I mean, anybody No, but been, it, it brought right. it up, right? It cost him ten right, bucks. It, has, it was it was a horrible thing that happened to a company that we would all agree probably needed something horrible to happen to it. But that doesn't <laughs> change the fact that this was a massive, massive drop. And and yes, the stock is recovering, but it's still down one point two six percent from where it was before this happened. And the you have to look beyond the market, though. There's a long yes. tail here. Yeah, and, and I don't think the market's done. There are investors think, who are going to have their shorts called. They're going right. to have their leverage positions called because of this. They can all go for remediation. I don't think the market's dumb. I think that they pretty quickly, any invest, serious investor knew that Eli Lilly was not announcing that insulin is free now. Uh, and if they did, they were quickly disabused of that. But it brought I, something to the public for exactly. that had been, you know, sort of overshadowed by other things. And exactly. so now there's a public conversation yet again, which there should mm -hmm. be, by the way. It's embarrassing. The cost of insulin. Yes. But, hold on, but this goes into a greater discussion and we talk about this a lot in security of you don't have to make a permanent. Uh, if you want to cause damage, it doesn't need to be permanent. It can be temporary and temporary is enough to cause enough damage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what happened. It's weaponized information. We call so, it, we call it um, 
uh, mental malware. Are we oh, lucky? Clever. Remember, this, this all happened right before the midterm elections. Are we lucky uh, that, in fact, it didn't disrupt the elections? I mean, it could have, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of damage they could have done. It was 24 hours beforehand, so I, I don't think... It's not enough time for the Russian bot farms to... I, yeah, I mean, I again, I think the story about the fact that Twitter was imploding sort of overshadowed the, yeah. you know, potential misinformation that might have been sent. So big layoffs, lots of uh, brain drain going on. Elon not looking too serious, although I note, you know, in the first few days after he bought Twitter, he tweeted three or four times at the norm, his normal rate. He's really dropped off a lot. And most of his tweets have nothing to do with Twitter all of a sudden. Although he did tweet on Friday that all of this excitement has really increased engagement on Twitter. Uh, he said, well, it's really improved <laughs> the number of, of posts on Twitter, which may be true. I don't know. Um, sounds a little like, uh, you know, he protests too much. Hmm. Yeah, they're doing so well that he sold another $4 billion of Tesla stock to cover the losses. Yeah. So, yeah, that sounds like it's I mean, the big, the real win. problem for Twitter, if let's say they get past the FTC and a, a pissed off senator, uh, the real problem is that advertisers don't want to be anywhere near this, right? That's the. That's Did the, you see he threatened the advertisers? Yeah. yeah. He He's going to uh, charge them more <laughs> for, for being cowards. Oh, my gosh. That's that's an episode said, from that uh, go, Sunset Strip show. Yeah. yeah. He goes. He was going to say he was going to go thermonuclear name and mm -hmm. shame if they cut off their advertising. That's uh, a guarantee that what, advertisers are going to. What are you trying platform. to do? Who talks to their customers that way? He's he <laughs> is in effect telling advertisers, "I am a loose cannon and I can hurt your I, brand." I don't time. think that's what right. he's doing. I I honestly don't think. I, I think what he's doing is creating a situation. So. If any of you out there are have employees, think about the process that you would use to get rid of an employee who's underperforming. You can't just fire them. It, you know, I guess unless no, you're you Twitter. write them up, um, you, you create a paper. You have trail. to go through a process yeah. where you either, I mean, some companies sort of make the circumstances such that they want to quit, right? Or you you have a, a whole long process of write ups and things like that. Is it plausible that given the weight of the investment and the total improbability that any any current financial model works out to pay that back that he's creating the circumstance where there is no alternative but bankruptcy so that he gets out of this whole thing and Twitter dies permanently. That would be my take. My hot take. So there was talk that he wasn't, uh, that bankruptcy was, uh, I think a possible option. He said he told, I think it is, it is the only option. I, there it's is, inevitable. But he said this. You know, turning it into a payment platform doesn't make sense when there's this plenty make of sense. You buy something and then you file for bankruptcy. No, 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 I don't think that's why he did it. I think he was. Listen, I mean, again, let's go back in time. I think this started out as a probably overconfident ruse that turned into what felt like a real thing. I mean, we're kind of seeing this pattern over and over again with powerful men, right? Um, and then it kind of became real and there was no way to walk things back. And this seems to be the only way for him to get out of it at this point. It's not a really good way to get out of it, though, because I mean, it is the only way to get out of, of it. His personal he did, yeah, but he didn't want to be in it. The problem was there was no way to get out without a lawsuit. Yeah, he was. Uh, it's it, apparently I, I agree with you, Amy, that the original uh, decision to buy Twitter was either a joke or. I don't think it was a out. joke. I mean, I think that there's a certain amount of 
highfalutin Hubris. bloviating that's yeah. happening right yeah, now. Yeah, bloviatings. Among our, our tech oligarchs who are running the show yeah. all over the place. And this was kind of like, he was showing know, He was showing his tail feathers. A little um, bit, yeah. And then realized and then it kind of got real. Idea, and there's no way to back get, out, to get of out of it, it, back out of it without a lawsuit. Do you think he which, was, which he... was the whole like all of Twitter is bots? Proved me they're not. This is a reason right. for me. Mm-hmm. I've got grounds to not go through with the sale. Do you think he always thought, well, I can always get out of it? Um, yeah, I think it. I think that again that I would call them the sort of tech oligarchs think that they can get in or out of anything. Yeah. I think that's part of how we got to now. Yeah. Uh, and then, for some reason, really feared what was going to happen in the Delaware Court of Chancery. He was about to be deposed. They had already revealed some embarrassing direct messages. Um, probably he knew of others that were to come. I'm wondering if he had some conversations with Mudge Peter Zatko, the Twitter whistleblower, at some point mm-hmm. that might have been incriminating. So, all, for some reason, which we don't fully know, he decided, oh, I guess I have to buy it. Do you think at that point he starts squirming and looking for yes. ways? Yes. So he put in of his own money, uh, I don't know, somewhere around $30 billion. He borrowed. Was 30- it? I thought it was like, I thought he put up the money, but I thought the real amount was closer to a billion. Was it that much? Really? Oh, you no, know, it was he, a lot. It was way, way It was more than that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he got, thir- he borrowed 13, I think, billion from banks. Mm. Those guys cannot be very happy at this point. Um, they're really exposed. They were, um, re- they were really foolish for going in well, on this. Well, it was a mistake, right? Uh, but he also got money from Larry Ellison, kicked in a couple of bill. Uh, the so- Saudi Sovereign Fund, we yeah. don't know how much, but a lot. So you're right. Elon might not have been in for more than a, a 13 or $14 billion. Um, if he declares bankruptcy, would it be it would Chapter 11 reorganization? Is that what you think? Does he then get to put off the creditors? He's got a more than a billion dollar yearly annual uh, interest. 1. So again, I think this is one of these things where if everybody, if the Saudi royal, you know, the, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund still wants to go out and, and have, I guess, not a beer, but but some type of non-alcoholic drink and sit around a bar because Elon's cool, then everything is copacetic. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think he is actually stuck. I think he's actually stuck. And the worse that the situation gets, the worse this becomes for his other holdings from the other companies and their market cap. I, this Twitter, is a cascading Tesla's, Tesla's um, cycle already, of apocalyptic hell. Tesla's Let me ask a question, Amy. Do you yeah. think that these, because I was just thinking about the sheer number of people that were let go. Mm-hmm. Like what other company could function if they just one day well, got rid of half of their employees? And I'm talking yeah. uh, any, any company over a thousand employees, like, how do you function if half of your employees are gone? And summarily, and, and, right? Without a lot and there of... There weren't that many to start. They only had, what, six, six thousand? Seventy five hundred. Yeah. And so could this been all a plan like, well, I'm going to have to... Like, he was thinking bankruptcy I think El- before this. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think Elon yeah. is quiet quitting Twitter. He's quiet quitting Twitter. I mean, I think that's what's happening. Well, what I think happens we're watching to it happen finances? in real time. How does he get? How does he get out of this? What happens to his finances? We're, we're watching. Well, it. What, what are you thinking? Well, there are no, so what are the assets? Listen, <laughs> Twitter. So again, let's stop for a moment. And like, forget about all the insanity that's happened. If Twitter were to go away tomorrow, it, Twitter is not general purpose technology, right? Like nope. um, electricity. We, the only way to calculate what's the total valuation of the internet? There's no way to calculate it, but for in the reverse, right? That's a general purpose technology. That is not Twitter. Twitter goes away tomorrow. There's no meaningful economic impact. There might be on the companies that are solely set up to serve Twitter and anybody who's using OAuth, you know, and 
using Twitter to sign on, there might be hiccups. Twitter goes away tomorrow. There's no there's no real problem. There's no real infrastructure. The user base isn't all that um, valuable because it's relatively small, right? So again, who who would buy it? Who how do you monetize it? it, it there's no there's no that's a, that's a good point. There's saving. a lot of other services that would cause major disruption. That's a good point. Yeah, it's not the power grid for crying out loud. Um, no, but you think of things like Salesforce or Oracle if they yeah. went down. Like, yeah. well, that would cause some serious disruption. He can't sell right. it. Or- Nobody's going to buy it. Even for a billion dollars at this point, right? He's really now, now years and years ago. I was talking to, I was wasting my breath on um, some news organizations and saying that there's no way that this is going to monetize in the long run because the av- like there's no model that I saw really working. So news org should buy it, turn it into a 21st century wire service. I love it. Um, allow people to use it as we currently do, but police some of the you know the the bots and other things and you know, control more of the advertising destiny, like, but there, nobody would, cons- you know, collaborate to do that. So I, I don't know. That's, by the way, the people who are not moving off of Twitter include all the news services. They really, uh, although Reuters now has a uh, a Mastodon feed, but I think the news services don't have anything, they anywhere they can go like Twitter. Oh, but they'll always be somewhere where people want to spout something off and release information. No, but I'll tell you because we work with we work with some of them and some others, and I know that there was a meeting among he- the largest foundations on um, whether or not they should all leave Twitter or stay on. You know, mm. well, you got to. It's like you got to stay where the news is breaking. You just have to. That's your job as being news. Like when people complained about you know reporting on our president, I'm like, well, he's the president. You got to kind of report on that. So it's kind of the job of news to where the news is breaking or where you can get that information. You have to gather it. So a it's few not like organizations super unique. They didn't really own any IP that can't be replicated. They had a couple of patents for machine learning. They had a couple of patents for interconnected networks, but those those were just utility patents. They weren't what they have that you now license. are 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 members. That is their exactly asset, they, the user base was the members, and he drove them away. I mean, remember, well, they're not all gone yet. Some have left. There's still plenty but of the people important on ones. You have to remember, you everyone looks at the 1.3 billion users of Twitter and they say that's the big number. So even if a million left, it's not really that big of a problem. But you look at uh, the revenue of Twitter. 92 percent came from advertisers of that 92 percent that came from advertisers. 50 to 50 to 60 percent came from the United States content developed in the United States. So in the United States, you had about 38 million active daily users. 25% of those, or about 9 million, generated the content of about 97% of that. So 9 million users in the United States are responsible for roughly three quarters of Twitter's revenue. So if he's driven away a million of those, that is a huge hit. That the, is unrecoverable. The latest Mastodon number is uh, the last week they've grown to one and a half million users so i presume most of them came from twitter um well they're definitely getting plenty of buzz yeah yeah uh mastodon is not a twitter replacement uh and it shouldn't be uh it's designed to kind of avoid some of the pitfalls twitter uh offers especially to uh disadvantaged people people uh, uh in the lbgtq plus uh community um 
they left Twitter a long time ago, frankly, um, because Twitter has always been kind of, last, last five years been a toxic place. Um, it's, it's really, so are we going to mourn the loss of Twitter, Father? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I My experience of Twitter was a lot different than some others because very early on I wrote a bot that got rid of the worst signals from Twitter. And it was very good at it. It made Twitter a very useful place for me. And it still it still is. Uh, and yes, I'm on Macedon. Yes, I'm trying out a couple of other social media services. Uh, but Twitter was actually useful for me. It wasn't just a place to broadcast thoughts. I got some very interesting ideas from the people that I met in the communities that I formed within Twitter. So that is a unique forum that I do not think is duplicatable anywhere else on a, an existing internet property. Hmm. I agree. And um, I, you know, I've used Twitter again, like I since like 2006 and uh, along the way. So early on, that's where my friends were and it was, you know, fun to have conversations in public, I guess, but I was there for the links people were sharing pre political, you know, Meyer um, and Jonathan Abrams, who I really respect, is always slightly ahead, slightly too ahead of the curve. Um, he founded Friendster. He also started mm-hmm. something called Nuzzle and UZZEL, which was this awesome app that uh, you could set up. If you had Twitter lists, um, once a certain threshold of people posted accounts posted the same link, you would get a notification. So this is really, really great way. I made like 200 private Twitter lists that were each about a specific topic. It was a really great way to surface totally original signals that I just would not have picked up on my own. Actually, then Twitter bought it and turned it into blue and dumbed it down and made it terrible. But um, and I I, I use Twitter to present. I used to I used to have the script running in in, um, Keynote. And I would, anytime I gave a keynote presentation somewhere, I would uh, sort of have a back channel of me talking while I was talking on stage and it would tweet out the links. Um, You know, I just, I would like try to think ahead of what somebody might stop when I was talking to look up on their own and I would tweet it while I was saying it. Um, You know, it's the, it's, it's like those other utilities that I, I really, I really miss. And I, I miss, yeah, it, it, it's a different place than it was, and I'm sort of ready to let it go. Um, black Twitter, a perfect example of a community that uh, formed on Twitter that gave people voices that didn't have voices before, the mm-hmm. Arab Spring. Um, there are lots of historic things that happened on Twitter. So, I mean, I think it's appropriate. Are we premature to mourn it? I, I no. think there's a giant dump fest going on right now on Twitter. That's what I'm hearing. Um, what do you mean by dump fest? There's a, I'm watching the feed here and I'm listening to you. I think there's a lot of people trashing it. A lot of people spend many, many years building up their community and their audience. Yeah. And right now there's one guy who's acting very aggressively and he owns it. Uh, I say we should all chill out. Just stick see around and see what happens. That was my original plan until I was kind of force-fed Elon's tweets, uh, and I thought yeah, you oh, can always just, you cannot stop following. I could um, I could block. What, so what happened? You just you had not you didn't have the chronological view on. Yeah, had I had the, the home feed on, and I had oh, like okay. eight right. Elon Musk tweets in a row, yeah. all of which were ex- worse and worse and worse. Uh, he's by the way stopped doing that. Uh, I think he probably got the message that probably is counterproductive. Let's see what is. I mean, these things. Listen, I think all of this. 
thing I'm a futurist, but we we look backwards twice as much as we look forwards. And I, I, you know, we sort of go in cycles of things. So, you know, we've got social media that are kind of imploding. I think, I think we're in a period of social distortion where we're sort of spreading out again and going into different directions. But at some point years down the line, there will be consolidation again. So the Mastodon may be decentralized, but there will still be a consolidation of players in the market as there is with every single industry over and over again. So it's interesting, by the way. I said in the pre-show, I said in the pre-show that I'm going to be slim pickings riding this bomb into the ground. I mean, I, 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 like David said, I spent years building up a community that I find very valuable on Twitter. And so I'm going to stay there if for nothing else, but for them, was that but a strange love reference? At the same time, reference? I am moving to Macedon. Yes. I'm so, sorry? Was that a strange love reference? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Got to throw one of yeah, those. Remember favorite. Slim Pickens riding the Atomic Yeah, Love? No, no, no. It was my yeah. favorite movie. I, just, I, was, I loved hearing that podcast. <laughs> so much that I interrupted okay. you. I apologize. Wait, it, it, just, I mean, there is, there is a, an, an interesting tangent to this. Did, you, you heard about the, uh, the senior director of engineering uh, got caught uh, sending out a slack that is just tone deaf? No. Do tell. Uh, so it, uh, Luke si- uh, Simon, Luke Evan Simon, he is the uh, senior director of engineering at Twitter, sent out a Slack saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote this. This is going to be the challenge. The engineers I am bringing back, the ones he hi- fired and then rehired, are weak, lazy, unmotivated, and they may even be against an Elon Twitter. They were cut for a reason. So we need to think of these people as just needing to be around until the knowledge transition is completed. Imagine sending that out on a company Slack to the people who are going to read it and say, yeah, I, I'm going to be as slow as possible. I'm, I'm not motivated right, to work for you. So wait a second. Let's let's pause for a moment on that. So that really went out, yes? That really went out. That really okay. went out. He has, so he has and now you bring those employees private- back and you call them lazy. Was that posturing, though? Just because half of those employees are going to design backdoors into their software so they could hack it later when they're dumped again. Well, uh, if if I was employed, Pandora's box of problems. (laughs) If I was brought back, I am writing 10 lines of code where one will do. I mean, come on, I will go as slow as possible. I will milk it for every bit of salary and and concessions that I can get. It's more of like I'm going to build a backdoor so I can get into this thing when I want to. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, um, they some of them I, I I understand have to come back because they weren't they were in order to avoid the Warren Act. Elon, who originally wanted just to fire him without severance, no notice, realized he had to give him uh, ninety days of continued salary. Those people are still getting paid, and so it's easy to call them back because they never really left and if they don't come back then you can say well then you're not getting your 90 days now you've quit so you might wonder well why would anybody come back after being fired well that's why uh they may no, not but this goes to my point who could dump half of their staff right. and still be operational yeah and then he, did. he goes no. wait a second i can't still be yeah, dump them five Somebody's days after you back. walk in the door how do, would you even know and certainly as you point out counting the number of pages of code committed is a terrible way to do it <laughs> uh, Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Have have any of you had conversations about Elon with others and uh, gotten into, had bad react? Let me put it this way. I feel like Elon's almost religion on his, on his own and there's no room. I mean, two things get people more upset than, than anything else. And that is they're like crypto and Elon. 
you know, you, right, you, these are our two big stories. Yeah, I know, but like the the reaction that people have to any any critical any critic like logical criticism of what's happening right now is, you know, grounds for, you know, verbal assault. But, I don't but, know. But yeah, there's, 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 there's a, there's a Venn diagram here. Sorry, Padre. I was just, there's a Venn diagram here of the block bot. You have the Elon stands, you have the crypto stands, and then you have the Joe Rogan stands. Mm. And where do they meet? That little velvet part right in the middle? That's an instant block. That's just no, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to pay your attention bot, to anything. Is that how say. your bot works? <laughs> it's yeah. a Venn diagram bot. I need to take a break. We'll have more. Uh, it's an amazing time we're living in. And then there's uh, FTX. We're going to talk about that. Our show today brought to you by Worldwide Technology and H. P.E. Hewlett Packard Enterprise. WWT is at the forefront of innovation, working with clients all over the world to transform their businesses. And and I have to tell you, because we went out and saw it uh, right before COVID in March of 2020. Lisa and I went out to St. Louis and saw their advanced technology center. And this thing is a mind blowing, amazing thing for anybody to have. Anybody. The ATC is a research and testing lab with more than half a billion dollars of equipment from all the OEMs that you might deal with. Why did why did they build this? I mean, they've been building it for a decade. This is many buildings, rack after rack of incredible gear. Well, they built it at first for their own engineers so they could, you know, test products, uh, integrate solutions, roll out solutions. It would it reduced their evaluation time for new technologies by uh, from months to weeks. They could spin up proofs of concept and pilots. It was a great way for WWT engineers, for the WWT team to understand the technologies uh, that they're working with. But they've done something that is really uh, incredible. They have opened it up to all of you. Anybody on the WWT platform can access the ATC. You don't even have to go to St. Louis to do it. They offer hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs you can do from anywhere in the world. At any time of the day or night, like HPE's Data Services Cloud Console Lab. These labs represent the newest advances in every area of enterprise technology, multi-cloud architecture, security, networking, primary and secondary storage, data analytics, AI, even things like DevOps, process, and so much more. This has been a great boon for WWT internally, but now it's available to everybody with the ATC, you can test out products and solutions before you go to market. You can access technical articles, expert insights, demonstration videos, white papers, hands-on labs, all the tools you need to stay up to date with the latest technology. Here's the key. WWT is a partner. They're a partner, and they want their partners to succeed, and that's why they offer you these great tools. It's not just a physical lab space in St. Louis. It's a completely virtual lab that you can access anywhere in the world, 365 days a year, and it's free. All you have to do is be a member of the ATC platform. That's not the only thing WWT does. We went out there in March, and we did an event. It was so much fun. Mary Jo Foley uh, came out with us. Uh, make sure you check out WWT's events and communities. Lots of stuff going on there. Learn together about the technology trends. Hear the latest research and insights from the WWT experts because they are your partners in this. Whatever your business need, WWT can deliver scalable, tried and tested, tailored solutions 
WWT brings strategy and execution together to make a new world happen. Learn more about WWT, the Advanced Technology Center, to gain access to all their free resources. It's very simple. Just go to WWT.com slash twit, create a free account on the ATC platform. WWT.com slash twit. It is such a benefit to every company that uses enterprise technology. You'd be crazy not to join it. WWT.com slash twit. David Spark is here from, uh, uh, well, I've known him for years, but his current effort is CISO Series at CISOseries.com. You interview CISOs, right? And other security. And other. Talk about security. Uh, and I might as well give out your Twitter handle, at Go DSpark, because you're not leaving, man. And uh, I'm at not, I'm CISO holding Series. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not one to do knee-jerk reactions. I think that's smart. Let's see how this thing yeah. plays itself out. I am also, though, not one to kind of hang around a toxic environment. I just don't need that in my... Oh, well, you don't have to necessarily shut down your account. It's just, you know... Oh, no, I didn't also, kill my account. I got half a million followers. I didn't kill it, uh, but I ain't visiting it. I couldn't... I It's been years since I've been able to read at replies anyway. I mean, it, it's, I've only been a, you know, minor user of Twitter for the last three or four years. Uh, but nobody here is leaving, which is interesting. Amy Webb? CEO at Future Today Institute. Did you predict this would uh, that it's really not Twitter? It's social media. Look at look at uh, Facebook's uh, valuation. Yeah. yeah, again, this I, there are cycles that that every industry goes through, and um, for, from my point of view, we're, we were at the sort of zenith of the cycle, and so it it makes sense what's happening right now. Um, maybe uncomfortable, but yeah. Amy, can I ask you a quick question about sure. about cycles right there? Yeah. When things don't have much of a history or mm-hmm. things are changing so rapidly, what do you use to predict? And I know I'm being super oh, vague, but the, but yeah. the reason I bring this up is because like one topic that comes up with us is cyber insurance. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, like that changes so drastically. It's not like the industry has decades of information like like in, <laughs> of actuarial tables like auto insurance. Oh, no, we actually do a ton of work in insurance and those actuarial tables have pretty much not been updated in the past century. So, um, no, they're, they're still trying to sort things out. That's pretty uh, so, so what do you do when yeah. the, the history is either so drastically changing, you can't see a pattern mm-hmm. or what, what is it that you do? Um, we can always see patterns. The, the issue is making sure we're seeing evidence and data backed patterns and not ones that we're seeing because of our own bias. But, uh, we, we, and we actually don't make predictions. So I, I didn't, um, we would not say that we would predict, something would happen on such and such a date or by such and such time. Right, right. But right, you're but, showing trends more, yes? Yeah, so we we yeah. build models, evidence-based models, sometimes primary, second. Yeah, I don't want to get into the weeds because it would bore that out of everybody who's listening. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, even when there are, so what, social media is 15-ish, maybe a little bit longer, 18 years old, we could say. Um, it's... Every uh, industry or micro industry moves at a different speed and trajectory. And we're just one of the biggest signals we look for is consolidation. So consolidation over time tends to attract regulatory scrutiny and you know, it's all the other stuff that comes with it. And either that micro industry survives because there's no there's nothing else um, or there's an implosion and something else happens. So the, a good analogy here would be um, drugstores in the United States. Uh, CVS may have incredible technology, but it is, it doesn't, it does not care about customers at pharmacies. And so, uh, 
the tech might be great, but the user experience is horrible, but there's nowhere else to go, which is what left the opening for Amazon. Because it's there's so much market consolidation, it would be so challenging to set up a competitor that, you know, so we've got like two or three in the market. Um, that one continues to hold. Social media didn't. Um, so, yeah. Also with us, Father Robert Balancer, the digital Jesuit, who is also not leaving Twitter, but does have four Mastodon, count them, four Mastodon accounts. <laughs> Just in case. I think it's more than that, actually. I, there's a bunch that I just have forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, I mean, it was a very interesting platform from the very beginning. It was very friendly to writing bots, and I was ex- experimenting. And it would, it was that thing where I would create an account and forget about it and create another account. And I did that for three or four years. That's fine. So, that's yeah, fine. you're going to find a lot. You're on Twitch Social now. That's all that matters. That's exactly. All, exactly. It, Twitch Social is, it's actually perfect. And I, I've hit the the inflection point. So, you know, I may have, what, 45,000 users on Twitter and only 2,000 on Mastodon. But the engagement I'm starting to get from Mastodon is getting very close to the engagement for the, for the same topics oh, that's on Twitter. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's good. That's good. I, uh, to me, the lesson, and I also take this lesson from... Um, the collapse of FTX is that cent- centralization. It, Amy, you'd probably be good to talk about this. It's not always a good idea. Certainly, uh, it's it's the kind of the way capitalism works, uh, because the, the, that's how you capture value is by centralizing it, siloing mm-hmm. it, and uh, selling it. But uh, for end users, I don't know if centralization is is the right thing. Of course, that is the complaint. People who don't want to leave Twitter have as well, but I like all the people I can follow and and talk to on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, listen, um, total decentralization. I I'm I don't know of any examples throughout history in any sector where total decentralization worked and worked in the in the long term. But um, maybe it's a pendulum that we've swung too far. In the direction of economies of scale and centralization and, and mass. I mean, maybe industry. if we if we're bridging to sort of the um, exchanges, the crypto exchanges, you know, I listen. I I don't think our central banks. I'm not sure what the Fed is. I don't know that I agree with what the Fed has been doing, um, but I I also don't know that completely unfettered exchanges where you have a handful of people making. The, the the liquidity. I don't. I don't want to get like super in the weeds on this, but we we should not be in the place that we are right now. And this is no longer an experiment that's happening during COVID. There's real money yeah, being lost. That's a good. Point. Um, like significant real money for people. And again, if we play this forward, you put somebody in dire economic circumstances without uh, in our current economy with the current inflation, like with all of the other variables that are not playing to our favor. This this is where you have a vulnerable population that decides to, you know, <laughs> we've seen we've seen how this has happened throughout history and it it has typically not gone well. So hmm. that's what I'll say. Hmm. It's interesting. I you know I um, maybe because I'm not a, a good capitalist. I'm not good at marketing. I'm not good at uh, you know if if. <laughs> I like the idea, for instance, on our Mastodon, I don't really want to promote it. I just kind of like it better if it's, uh, it grows uh, natively and, and uh, it doesn't need to be big. I don't want to get big. Getting big sometimes is not a, is, 
I understand from a capitalist point of view, from an industrial point of view, getting big is a secret to economies of scale. It's where you really get the big money. I kind of like not getting big. Uh, Mastodon's more like having a uh, cottage garden. Well, uh, I'll tell you. Sure, it's I not think as efficient as having a giant, you know, 15 million acre beet farm. But it's kind of more personal and more satisfying. Sorry. It's all about niche and getting to your very specific audience, which is very much evidenced here. I mean, we we don't have enormous audiences, but I we like are the niche. very desirable for our specific audience. I just like and the that's niche. The big thing. I, I'd prefer to talk to people who get it than people who don't. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Right. And so, again, like, but that. That is a better situation for a potential advertiser. Advertiser. The challenge with advertisers on platforms right now is you kind of don't know where your ads are going and you don't have clear metrics on anything. Like it, you know, if I had an opportunity to talk to 2,000 people about something that was aligned with whatever it is that I'm working on and, and I was going to do it in a way that they appreciated, that's the best possible advertising there right. is. It doesn't right. even have to be that large, Amy. I mean, this this is one of the things we, we talk about when people like start out doing podcasts and they they get very depressed because they see download numbers over 100 or 200 people. But if you just take a moment and say, what if I had 100 or 200 people just in a room listening to me? Right. That's plenty. Yeah. That's really powerful. And if you just think about yeah, that. And it, yeah. And if it's the right 100 or 200 people, that's all you need. I mean, honestly, that is Twitter. Twitter's user yeah. base is pretty small relative to the global population. It just happened to be a concentration of media people and tech That's people. a good point. It's, a, it's not Facebook, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Twitter's user base had a advantage over some of the other social media platforms, and that is uh, the user base tended to be a bit more educated and it tended to be a little wealthier. I think the the last stat I saw was uh, 87% make more than 30,000 a year, 40 some percent make more than 75,000 a year and something like 15% more make more than 100,000 a year. So if you're an advertiser and you're looking for your niche, that platform that has fewer users but has more of the users that you want is a better buy. Do you think that's the move behind all of these sort of spaces style, like small audio chat rooms that we're starting? Well, to yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's Patreon. That's Twitter. It's uh, like, remember, Patreon link. was the thousand, the yeah. 1000 loyal listeners. That's all you really need. You get that. Right. And anything else is gravy. If you get the 1000 people who really want to hear what you have to say, who are willing to give you that dollar a week or dollar an episode. I will, I will be, say this. If, if we were, we make we do better being more niche to a smaller audience than if I was broader to a larger audience, for sure. Of course. Do you want an advertiser who needs to sell a million items to make a million dollars or an advertiser who makes a million dollars off one item? Well, Isn't that I mean, this, what this yeah. internet's Cecil's all have access to big budgets. That's why sponsors. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't like that really what the internet's all about is um, diversity, uh, small groups? Maybe it was a mistake to say, to make social get so big, uh, you know, maybe that was a mistake or no. I, I think it was it was driven by the desire to reach a mass audience so you could sell it to advertisers as opposed I, I to what people really needed or wanted. The, the general sort of this goes back to Jack Welsh. And if anybody's super interested in sort of 
business and how we got here. Um, it's a critique of Welsh, but um, it's the man who broke capitalism, I he think was, is what it's called. It's, uh, yeah. it's a brand new book. Yeah, he it's was lionized at the time and now. David Gels, you know, yeah. Yeah. And still very much is in, especially like in Latin and South America, but um, but scale is everything. It has like our modern modern business in the U.S. especially has been built on scale and financialization, meaning you want to get to the biggest possible numbers that you can. And then the rest of the, you you want to achieve non-organic growth is kind of how, how we got to now. And I don't think that's the best way to do things. It just became the way that we do, do things. Leo, I will tell you something that Jim Lauterbach, someone we both know, told me when he was running uh, revision three, I asked him what percentage of your producer's time is spent engaging directly with the audience and he said 50 percent. yeah and that was wow. critical to building his audience yeah and i would say we spend kind of close to that too yeah it's you've got to spend a lot of time engaging with your audience directly jack you know, welch Leo, built- scale gives you one very important thing um the larger a social media platform is the easier it is to to drive interactions with outrage Right. At, at scale, the rage machine is amazing. You right. can get so many engagements. You can get so much spread by bringing up something that makes people upset. And, and then you, you can spin out your rage. Oh, this, exactly. this is Parallel. my whole theory. The Internet is a speed from bad to worse. It's like, <laughs> yeah. how can I how can I say the worst thing possible, the quickest, faster than anybody else? We've seen this with with yep. with how people sort of do this pile on of like. You know, I hate this person. I want to hurt this person. I want to kill this person. I'm like, it goes boom, 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 that fast. But this, again, so like, but we didn't, nobody invented this recently. This goes back to. No, it's just um, allowing for speed. It's just faster. This was a practice like 500 years ago. You go to see a Shakespeare show live and that happens in the audience, you know. But hold on, but the anonymity of Twitter is, allows for that as well. The, the greater number of connections, if I go into a Macedon instance and I just start spewing out rage, I am going to get blocked so quickly because people are going to say, I don't want to hear this. This this is nothing to do with what we're discussing. Right. I do that on Twitter. I'm still going to get people blocking me, but I will find a big enough critical mass of people who share the same rage and will amplify it. So yes. that's that happens on large instances that don't doesn't happen on small ones. You know what? Bill Maher had a great line. He goes, I could say to everybody on Twitter, you know, have a great day, and people would still be pissed <laughs> off about that. Oh, of because course, you it's have Bill a great Maher. Day. Yeah, <laughs> no, we don't. Nobody. Right, right. <laughs> so, but are we oh, learning no. a lesson that maybe um, too big is you can get too big? That it's. Uh, I mean, certainly Jack Welsh made. Did did he make GE too big? Is that what they're saying? It was uh, it was fast inorganic growth and a lot of um, so so organic growth would be developing new products and services and growing that market over time. Inorganic growth tends to happen through M and A. So you're you're buying up competitors or other companies and you're trying to to sort of spin up your P and L um, to, to appease the market. And uh, you know that's a that's a risky, dangerous um, game. But typically that happens when you're also cutting way back on staff on services on people there's a terrific uh there's a terrific chapter of that book on ge on um on boeing and how boeing got sort of gutted and the history of of really like great r&d in boeing um you know uh was was sort of blown apart so 
I think we have this tradition in the U.S. of uh, scale up, scale up, do less, you know, f- get rid of as many people as you can um, divest in, in your talent pipeline. You know, we, there's a lot of that happening. And that's also the sort of playbook for um, a lot of a lot of companies that get consulting from a particularly large consulting company uh, based in the United States. I won't say who it is, but that's kind of their playbook. And all of this is about driving up share prices as much as humanly possible. But and, and that's a great short term game again. Uh, and it's it's good for the market in the very near term. But that is it produces just disastrous results down the road. Now, I don't know if Elon himself has been a recipient of any of this advice um, or if any of the 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 tech companies have been recently, but they seem to be following at least in parts of those models. Yeah. What about uh, Meta? What about uh, Facebook? Uh, 54% of the 11,000 laid off were in business positions, but the other 46% were technology roles. That's a lot of technologists uh, to lay off. Let me ask you, they've decided to kill, they've decided to kill Portal. Their smart display division. Mm-hmm. They decided they had smart watches in development. They decided to kill that. I'm not saying uh, Facebook or Meta is a very well-run company because a lot of what's going on right now is Mark pivoting to a, a very speculative investment into uh, a virtual reality. So I used to think he was a real smart guy. What happened? Well, he didn't all of a sudden become stupid, Leo. <laughs> but but what, I have a question. Or maybe I was Amy. wrong. <laughs> I have a question, and I don't know if you've been tracking this specifically, but he is, seems to be betting Zuckerberg betting a lot on virtual reality. What what is your uh, understanding of how big that market's getting and growing? So we do a lot. People who listen to the show kind of know the line of work that I'm in and, and who we work with. Um, you know, the issue is that we're, I think, 10 years out, probably. We don't have enough compute. We don't have enough. This is, we're, we're a little far away from this really being able to to work and have business cases. Um, I, I wonder if... The de- let me ask, do you know what the yeah. demand is specifically for it? Oh, the demand? Yeah. Zero. I don't see anybody. There's n- none of the... I mean, that I know of, there aren't any, with the exception of maybe DOD, but like there's no real investment. There's a lot like marketing departments are very excited about um, metaversal technologies and and XR. Um, There are a lot of uh, anthropomorphic chatbot type of things that are being built. Um, You know, to me, this feels a lot like the days of Foursquare when everybody threw money at badges because they thought gamification was the next big thing and they followed Mm -hmm. the wrong trend. They followed the shiny, not the infrastructure. Always follow the infrastructure. That's what matters most. So do you think that what what Zuckerberg is doing right now in terms of and I don't know if he is betting the farm, but it just seems that's all the press that comes out is that everything is more and more virtual reality driving everyone to, you know, yeah. the whole world have an Oculus uh, on their head. 
It's, well, I was not in the in the room where it happened, right? So I don't right. know the conversations that are happening. But for, as an outsider, I see two plausible reasons. There's probably others, but you know, one is um, I think at some point, if if you have consolidated enough wealth and power, I think you start to think, hey, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be the guy that does blah like X, right? right. And through sheer force of my will, it shall be. So I don't know if it's that or if it's um, Facebook was facing some significant and I think warranted regulatory challenges. And maybe this was a pivot away from that. I'm sure there's other plausible reasons, but those would be the two from my, my vantage point. I mean, I I own an Oculus and I kind of like it. And actually, you, I love it for exercising, but I, I don't find the compelling need for it. And what about I'm one of the people who, if I have a VR headset on my head for more than three minutes, I will get violently ill. Mm-hmm. And well, it doesn't but, matter but how specifically fast have you put Oculus on your head. Yes, and you, the and the prototype versions with these super high refresh screens doesn't matter. It's just I'm one of these people who I, I will I never get, be. Able I to get wear nauseous a, too. Like I can't even I can't even watch somebody play a first person shooter game. That makes me sick. But I don't get sick from the Oculus. Actually, I'm quite impressed with how those are. Um, I guess balanced, if you will. I mean, the last Oculus Connect that I went to, uh, I had a, a brand new headset with a really high refresh game, and they promised me they said, "Oh no, you'll be fine wearing this." Thirty seconds in, I had I had to pull it off. My I was sweaty. I was I was dizzy. I had to go sit down for about an hour. So there's something about my brain that just will not let it go with VR. It just knows it's not right. Padre, well, do you wear glasses or one. contacts? Do you wear nope. corrective nothing? I'm I'm twenty twenty. Huh. Okay, well, I mean, look, even if it's only, let's say, five or 10 percent of the population, if you have a technology that five or 10 percent of the population gets nauseated by, you're not going to it's not going to be a mass product. (laughs) It's just not. Um, I got the new 16 or fifteen hundred dollar Quest Pro. And Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's nice. Have any of you played with the HoloLens, too? No. So I, I, of all, everything that I've tried and I'm, I was an early and still firm believer in magic leap. I think the technology was extraordinary. I just, there was so much money and they, they just, you know, investors demanded return ROI, which I thought was, you know, it needed years to develop. But HoloLens 2 is a pretty amazing piece of equipment and I can wear it with glasses on. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I am so the, much more into Oculus AR than glasses. VR. Yeah. Well, I that's that's AR. more XR, right? And I, I really do think the yeah. next thing that's I don't I don't see a world in which VR becomes a, a mass no. market technology no. yeah. outside of entertainment. I just the AR like in gla- like a heads up display for life, right? Yes. For your everyday life, wearing a pair of glasses that look very similar to the my sort of boring looking glasses that I've got on right now. I think that's our our future. Well, I, I will th- say no. Here's here's the the killer app for that, and we've talked about this a long time ago. Is dating imagine you go into dating. a bar oh. and you can scan the room and that e- people can be identified and you can go into their social profiles and see things about them yeah. and essentially know a lot about them before you actually approach them that, that sounds like a stalker's thing. wet dream <laughs> I, exactly. I don't know i know a lot of people who would just see that oh, and it's go, stark, oh no, no but it's just think no, about it. you no, will have no. an opening line <laughs> oh no that's terrible do you think Marcus- that would, you know but let me take that a step further because here's how then i would i would sort of set myself up to be pixelated and and so you, i just literally am blocked from your view not your personal view david 
No, but, but I understand. From others. No, no, but how do you pixel it? It's like how do no, you, how do you do it? your oh, face? Totally. Like, There's a couple of guys who have knitted a sweater that I want to buy. Um, that that completely blocks your face from most recognition algorithms. I think they're really? at, you know, at Georgia Tech. I think. Well, now would yeah. that hold it? But so would that mess up all like you know street cameras as well? Totally. Yes. I'm literally going to ask. I'm going no, to commission to wear it over your head. Criminals could get away with a lot. Probably. So that's just that's just near near IR, right? Just a lot yeah. of LEDs. Oh, yeah. it's oh, it's yeah. got lights. Yeah. Oh no no no! It doesn't have lights. This is a it's a there's something about the pattern. Um, I sh- I'm sort of I don't remember. Exactly. You know what? There was in I think it was World was it World War One where they what yeah. was the name of the the way they painted the ships black and white these bizarre patterns. Oh, to, to mess like, up the radar. Yeah, yeah. To, well, or, not just the radar, radar, just the scopes to be able to know how close or far away the ships are. Oh, somebody in the chat room is going to tell me what this yeah, is. Yeah, I can't remember the name. We've talked about it before. It's very cool. It looks like zebras. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all broken up. Here's the uh, sweater. Render yourself invisible to AI with this that's adversarial it, it. sweater of doom. Yeah, I actually think I heard about it from you guys. I, I'm, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't. I'd like to. I'd like to believe Do you it. Wear that sweater every night. I will tell you, I literally own only black clothing. I don't own any color that I'm aware of, and that I would wear. Yeah. I would wear. Amy, that I'm, color. I'm with you on that. Black clothing forever. <laughs> Well done. Very well done. nice. He's kind of white there. You're kind of stuck with it, dude. You're part of a Johnny Cash revival thing, right? So did Mark ma- is Mark making a mistake pouring tens of billions of dollars a year into uh whatever it is, VR M- mixed reality AR? Is that a mistake? I think the market would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the market yeah. seems to lost think half so. their value, yeah. I mean, I know it's difficult. I know he's developing a new field and he's trying to drive interests where it doesn't exist. But the second left comparison is still dead on. It, you look at this and you say yeah, it's a little bit better, but everything still looks like a cartoon. And I don't, I don't see myself working a day wearing VR goggles so that I can be on a space station when I'm working. What, what value does that give me? Yeah. Uh, so I hold yeah. on. I will throw this out. Somebody had posted that they actually did coding with VR goggles on. No. And they showed their screen. Oh, no. And oh, my God, it was endless. Awful. Awful. <laughs> no. But then I like Emacs, <laughs> so I don't think about VR Emacs yet. Here is on Etsy the anti-facial recognition hoodie, $64 for tech data privacy protesters. Comes in yellow or purple. What about that? You'd wear that, yeah? I don't Wait, know if it does works. Does it work? Well, I guess there's little faces, so it would be confusing. That that makes sense to me. I want to know is there an actual video demonstrating these? It's not. These are. This isn't the sweater of doom. This is the sweatpants of doom. I'm all about those pants. That's. I'm wearing that the next time I go visit uh, the Holy Father. It's facial recognition, not cross. Why are you, son? Why are you wearing those pants? Actually, that's not that different from what the Swiss Guard wear, right? I mean, yes. Are you thinking you're in the Swiss Guard? Oh, look! You can also get a uh, neck gator. Neck gator. That looks more like Minecraft. Here's a verified review from Victoria. Good quality. My robot sex doll did not recognize me. <laughs> Let's take a little time out after that. I've got to adjust. I've got to absorb. <sighs> I wish our sponsor wore the sweater of doom. Um, by the way, there is an entire academic paper making an invisibility cloak real-world adversarial attacks on object detectors. 
uh, PDF that uh, you can read. And I will hope somebody will read this and tell me if it works. There's, there's, there's math. That's always good, right? When there's math. <laughs> well, it must work. Look at that. Our show today brought to you by these babies, these little computers. These things are so cool. This is uh, On Logic is the name of the company, and they make the greatest little uh, hardened computers for industrial and other challenging environments. This is one of the, I think, the trends that's changed the world is computing has moved from a thing on your desktop to computers everywhere, and that's where these OnLogic computers are are showing up everywhere. The world of hidden computing that's revolutionizing every area, uh, sustainable agriculture, smart cities. In, you see them on the factory floor, increasing manufacturing efficiency, operating robots, improving the quality of our lives. That's where you'll find these OnLogic distinctive orange industrial and embedded computers. OnLogic is the first choice in industrial computing for innovators around the world who are looking for computing power that can survive and thrive where traditional hardware is just going to choke and die. OnLogic designs and creates computer solutions that can fit in the palm of your hand while powering everything from advanced robotics and AI to manufacturing automation, digital media solutions, smart agriculture technologies, these are engineered for reliability. For instance, this baby, and you can tell because of the fins, these, these guys are passively cooled, so they don't have any fans. That eliminates, you know, any moving parts. There are no moving parts at all, which makes this a solid-state device perfect for an environment where there's lots of vibration or shock. You can also get them sealed, so they're, they're completely comp- protected from dust and other airborne uh, contaminants, other de- design features. They're all different ones for different uses, obviously. Other design features and specialized components protect systems from extreme temperatures or interference. This is such a cool idea. If you're looking for a computer that can live in the most challenging environments, check out OnLogic. OnLogic systems are extensively tested to operate reliably wherever they're needed, whether monitoring a remote mining operation. You might even see one. I hope you don't. Uh, on a crash cart at a hospital. The team at OnLogic truly cares about creating right-fit technologies tailored specifically to solve your challenges. So get in touch. Tell them what you need. They partner with great companies. For instance, they have an AWS IoT Greengrass-compatible computers vetted by AWS so you know you get the peace of mind. It's going to work right out of the box. So if you're doing a Greengrass solution, this is awesome. They, uh, they work with these companies to enable rapid evaluation and deployment of edge computing solutions based on technology from companies like AWS. If you need a computing solution that can easily be configured to your particular needs, supported by industry experts, they're just a phone call, website, chat, or email away. Tell them about your difficult environment. And by the way, they're delivering these quickly. You don't have to wait. The team at OnLogic is here, ready to design, build, and get you the hardware you need. To get started, learn more about OnLogic's 30-day risk-free hardware trial. OnLogic.com slash twit. Maybe you've never heard the name, but now you know. And I'll tell you, if you ask somebody who's working in these kinds of environments, they know. OnLogic.com slash twit. We thank them so much for supporting twit. They're not getting these back. 
<laughs> we can think of all sorts of things. This one's got, I don't know why, it's got one, two, three, four, five, six Wi-Fi buttons on it. I don't know what that's for. And then all these LEDs, and uh, and it's got a uh, it's got three display ports. It's got like two g- ten gigabit Ethernet ports. It's got breakouts for a uh, for a bus, so you can access a data bus directly. Very cool. Very cool. Onlogic.com slash twit. Thank you, Onlogic, for supporting the show. All right, we got to talk about FTX because this is another drama. Oh, wait a minute. Before I do, though, this just in on Twitter. Sean Penn has just given his Oscar to the Ukraine. There's President Zelensky. I don't know. They're very happy. I don't know what. I don't know what they're what they're going to do with his Oscar, but but they've got it now. <laughs> don't you love it? How Hollywood's really stepping up. Do you think uh, President Zelensky would like Miami? <laughs> Did you see the pictures of Banksy's, though, putting all over Ukraine? That's cool, right? He's gone to Ukraine. He's putting up uh, Banksy paintings all over. Anyway, I don't know. I had to I had to bring this. See, there's good stuff on Twitter still. I would never have known about that. F- there is more than one person on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there is. We don't know how many there are. If it's not well, all Elon been, Musk. We've it may been talking all be about one Elon person Musk. in particular. Yeah, no, I know who you're talking There's about. There's a few others. Yeah, there are a few others. Uh, can we forget about crypto now? Is it over? Can we just uh, move on? Sam, you know what, if you don't invest in it, you can forget about yeah, it. Yeah, if, uh, if you've got a crypto wallet, especially if you've got a custodial wallet, you might want to think about it. How's your Dogecoin doing, Father? I haven't checked on that. For I cashed out a huge chunk of the Dogecoin so that I could invest in other cryptos, and then when it started dipping south, I cashed it out, and I'm I've just got it in a holding account right now. So I'm not affected by the dip at all. I'm just watching it, just in horror for the people who are now stuck with tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars Aye. in cryptocurrency that will are probably you- never hit. Yeah, Andre, are you just experimenting with crypto, or do you have a significant investment in it? Uh, I was experimenting with Dogecoin that I mined for fun. Uh, Back in the early, early days, I was one of the very first miners, and I got a couple million, uh, which became some real money just a couple of years ago. And then I sold that and started investing in some others and made some money there. But, you know, I, I, I said this on another tweet. Cryptocurrency is great as a speculative investment. But you should not fool yourself into thinking that it it's actually anything. It's not it's not held up by anything. So you you need to be ready to lose absolutely it is, every dollar. It is dollar. held up by marketing. Exactly. And exactly. By marketing and how much press it gets. Period. Right. That so you know, people like creator. me find it interesting, but there are, there are some people who who invested because they thought it would just keep going up and up and up, and they are they are in so much pain right well, now. The thing is, for every for every person that it goes up, somebody else loses money. So it can't go up for everyone. Look at the, this is weird. I don't know what this has to do with anything, but you made me think of this with Dogecoin. Crypto.com, 30% of the assets are in Bitcoin. 19% of the assets are in Shiba Inu. More than they have in Ethereum. That is a meme 
crypto it's from a, a meme, meme coin. crypto. I mean, yeah. we're just doing multiple levels. This is basically a, the CDO of cryptos. It's crazy. All right. So let's cover the, uh, the, the thing that's, <laughs> that's – so uh, you may remember uh, the Super Bowl last year. A guy named Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm, did a very nice, uh, very funny ad for a, a little company called FTX – in which Larry was, you know, through the ages, he was in the ancient times. He said, the wheel, it's no good. It's, you can eat a bagel. What? It's, you can't eat a wheel. And then he downplays the fork, the toilet, every invention. And finally, the modern times, he's sitting at his desk and some guy says, well, let's talk about cryptocurrency. And Larry says, that's eh, not going anywhere. And then the tagline for FTX, remember that name, don't be a Larry. Or maybe you, maybe you remember Matt Damon uh, doing an ad uh, for mm -hmm. Crypto.com, as it turns out. Uh, fortune favors the brave. You know, the Wright Brothers, the moon <laughs> landing. You should buy some crypto. Or maybe you remember Tom Brady and his model wife, Giselle Bunchen, with their phone saying, Tom saying, I'm going to make a trade on FTX. And Giselle saying, oh, how exciting. All these celebrities promoting cryptocurrencies so what happened to ftx this week it went from 19 billion dollars in assets to zero sam bankman freed who was on the cover of fortune magazine as uh the next great i don't know technology savior uh apparently if he if he had been doing with ftx been doing the same thing with real money He'd be in jail by now. He had created FTX as a, and correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, because you're the expert on this, as a as a crypto exchange place you would store your crypto or or, or trade your Shiba Inu for some for some Doge or whatever. But at Indeed. the same time, he founded a trading company called Alameda Research, which was funded by tokens FT tokens from FTX. Correct. So he moved about ten billion dollars of customer funds into his trading company. At uh, at some point last week, customers got a little nervous. I think, honestly, it was a little uh, feud between him and another big crypto exchange, Binance, run run by a Chinese. Uh, well, we don't know exactly, right? But the the CEO is a, a, and founder, I think, is Chinese. Uh, Binance, uh, it kind of somehow, I think it was on Twitter even somehow impugned FTX and people said, you know, I'm going to get my my money out of FTX. A run in the bank, $6 billion later, they had to freeze assets because they didn't have reserves to cover the run. At that point, everybody went a little bit crazy. FTX had earlier this year, Sam, Sam is a smart guy. He uh, bought, burnished his image. He became famous for effective altruism implied that he was giving away a lot of money. He was worth at one point, uh, I think $19 billion. He uh, bailed out Robin hood when Robin hood kind of got underwater. Uh, he came in and said, well, here, we're going to give you some FT and uh, we'll bail you out. He did the same thing for BlockFi uh, when they were starting to have some trouble. He was really the white knight. Everybody thought this is the guy who understands crypto, who knows how to make it work, who knows how to make it fly. Now, apparently, he's in custody in the Bahamas because he was fleeing to Dubai. The money is gone. He's His net worth has gone down below zero. 
And there are a lot of FTX uh, wallet holders who are out of luck, just like BlockFi, which also froze withdrawals this week. Uh, Binance was going to swoop in like a white knight. And then, and I swear to God, I think they planned this. They said, oh, yeah, we'll save them. And then they said, oh, wait a minute. We just looked at the balance sheet. No, no, we don't want anything to do with it, which immediately created the whole thing, uh, putting a competitor out of business. So, Robert, what's your take on all this? Uh, was Sam Bankman-Fried a Bernie Madoff or a genius? No, he was more like, what's his name, from Fire Festival. Uh, who started <laughs> yeah. up Magnesis. It is, a Fire uh, Festival. It is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's what this is. Because, okay, he was trying to set himself up as, I think you nailed it, he wanted to be the White Knight. He was going to be the one who would show that it was possible to create a professional exchange and just make money from the fees. In fact, it was making so much money that he was able to bail out fellow trading sites and, and services. But as it turned out, that uh, the only profits he was making was off of the trading that he was doing with customer funds, which worked fine as long as the market continued to go up. It, all of these stories are the same. As long as the market continues to go up, he kept getting enough profit from that illegal trading to be able to, to make the business look reputable. The moment that it dipped and we started to, to lose market, there was not enough money to cover the customer funds by far. Uh, and when Binance came in and they looked at the, the books, the one thing that people heard was misallocation of customer funds. That kills an exchange instantly. It always has. Uh, and it always will. Because then they realized the exchange is not playing on the up and up with the trading, with, with the tokens that the, it, it has been entrusted. And once it, has, it does not have the trust of, of the token holders, every token, because of the, the nature of cryptocurrency, can be withdrawn immediately. So the only option is to immediately halt all trading. Uh, imagine this, this is a run on the bank on steroids without even the waiting period to, to go down to the bank to close your account. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're, the, the entire crypto uh, community looks at FTX and it's kind of resigned at this point. We know this is happening. We know it's going to happen a lot more. There are other exchanges that are going to go under and everyone is just hoping that it, theirs will hold out long enough for crypto to go back up so they can get some of their investment back out. It almost That's a terrible feel idea. Yeah. That's a terrible get idea. Out now. I mean, yeah. listen, almost a hundred years to the day, it's what, 20, it's been... It's been 1929 almost, to, almost 100 to years, right? So October yep. 29th yep. Yep. crash, still the largest sell-off of, of shares in U.S. history, you know, because of uh, trust and confidence. Any exchange, exchanges only work um, mm -hmm. when they're not hyper-volatile and the volatility is tied directly to consumer and customer uh, confidence and trust. So we're going to continue to have liquidity events. I don't care who's running it or how much they how much they're promising to do altruistically um, that that's one variable that's outside of everybody's, con everybody's control. And by the way, once you introduce bots or once you introduce bad actors who start seeding mistrust, you know, that, that run on the bank that Padre just talked about happens faster and there's no way yeah, to, to stop it. Yeah. Right. So this is what I was talking about earlier. We, we have very long tail, um, challenges ahead of us and the technology is on a developmental track that's just going faster than our current regulatory track by the time those decisions get made you know it's too late 
So I, I, I'm not usually a fan as, you know, of like regulating up front. And I'm not saying we should do that here either because it stifles innovation. That being said. But isn't that the point of crypto is to stay unregulated as best as possible? Well, the, <laughs> listen, again, I'm, I think central banks have gotten us into some of the problem that we're in right now. But one of the things that we've learned is that the very institutions designed to to keep us all afloat and to trust are the ones that are causing problems at the same time that these new exchanges that are totally decentralized or whatever are causing problems. We we are in a bad situation, I think. I, I feel like, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this was a scam. And uh, that a lot of crypto and NFTs, I'll throw those into, are essentially pyramid schemes that the people who got in early desperately need people to buy these products at a higher price the speculation exactly. oh my god you couldn't be more on the mark leo that is exactly why we saw what is four or five ads during the super bowl yeah you need people who are ignorant to the market which i'm sorry that was the point of those super bowl ads let's get people think they're missing out fortune mm-hmm. let's get more bodies i mean just think about how paramutual betting works if you go to a racetrack it only works if more people put money into the pool. Well, the you difference more the difference with mutual betting is the betting pool then is distributed to the winners. I know, I know. But I think it's important case, to separate the, the technology way. infrastructure well, from the business model was, supporting it because I, I will say there's some interesting applications here when it comes to privacy. So there's there's a way now to create an NFT for your genome, for example, and grant permissions so you can license out parts of your genome for, let's say, remuneration by a pharmaceutical company, um, but without giving them indefinite rights to it. So the technology is interesting, but so far the business models are totally, um, there's, there's nobody minding the store, right? I I feel like well, that, that was, see, in no addition, minding- hold on, hold on. In addition to these guys being scammers, they took advantage of the fact that the technology is somewhat confusing to do a lot of hand-waving. And I really, I hear it all the time. Well, the underlying technology is interesting. Blockchain is just a distributed database. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's not magic. Uh, Cryptocurrency is is just, uh, you know. They're evolutions. Fiat currency managed on a blockchain and I'm not sure that that ad gives it any real benefit. Uh, unfortunately, part of the way this was sold, and I think, again, I feel like this is criminal. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was with the best intentions. But part of the way it's sold is, well, there are a lot of people who the banking system disenfranchises in third world nations, in the poor, poor people in, in ghettos. Uh, so Jay-Z created a school to teach young uh, black children, poor black children about cryptocurrency because it's somehow magically going to re-enfranchise them. And, if, and it didn't, and it doesn't, and I'm not saying Jay-Z knew better. Maybe I'm not saying he was a con man, but I think he was probably conned because the technology, there's a lot of hand-waving on the technology, but really underneath all this, it was a Ponzi scheme. It was a very traditional old-fashioned scheme a scam and unfortunately the promise and of this technology fooled people and that makes me mad because uh that is a really horrific misuse of technology and it's going to make more people bitter about technology too Uh, i think they played off the fact that nobody really understood it in fact they intentionally made it obscure okay i'm done i'll get off my soapbox (laughs) I, I don't think you're wrong, but I, again, I'm looking at, 
I see the sort of convergence of various technologies that are on the horizon and and NFTs are kind of an intro. There's some protocols that that would allow for better privacy and sharing and value creation that don't How, exist. Is it today. better than me having in uh, a, a, an encrypted uh, vault of like my solid? Own? You mean like yeah. the new solid? Yeah, that's protocol? Tim Berners Lee's idea, yeah. right? So like that works too, you know. So the, the blockchain thing is not necessary. The distributed ledger is not yeah, necessary. I mean, I think it's just, I think we're in this, like, we're getting the wiggles out. You know, I think we're in, we're just in the middle of this transition from our um, existing sophisticated technologies to the next yeah. uh, set of sophisticated protocols and, and technologies. And it's just going to take us a while I'm, to settle on what that is. I'm not in, in necessarily impugning Satoshi Nakamoto. He probably did, well, who knows? I mean, whoever that was has billions of dollars in, in, in Bitcoin somewhere. Um but probably, maybe, let's say he intended this with the best intention, and it's an interesting technology. But there were a lot of people who jumped on this bandwagon as a way to make a quick buck, unfortunately, and it tarnishes it. Tim Berners-Lee said Web3 is not the web. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's, uh, it's and the people behind uh, Web3, the so-called dis- distributed decentralized internet, are the very centralized uh, Andreessen yeah. Horowitz. They and, want to make Jack, money on this. Jack would say like Web 5. Everybody that I talk to is, you know, Web 5 is what matters. It just sounds to me like yet another way to take people's money. And it's uh, and I really feel badly for it. There were a lot of people who have lost a lot of money. You know, a lot of what, what Sam Bank, Bankman Freeman was doing was similar to what a lot of people in crypto do, which is moving stuff around to make it look like. For instance, a lot of NFTs are bought by the same person who made the NFT to kind of pump up mm-hmm. the value. Um, I think a lot of Bitcoin bros were throwing their money into FTX. So probably the people, a lot of the people who lost money uh, were, were, lose, were, were playing with the house money anyway. But hold it, but let, let's make this clear. Everyone knew, and if you didn't know this, this was an extremely risky investment. You know this. You know this morning. I think a lot of people buying stars on this. I think a lot of people buying crypto on uh, on um, on Robinhood didn't know that. There's a hedge no, fund. That's, that's their ignorance for not knowing that. But it is an extremely risky investment. There's so much that that throws risk on it. All investments have different levels of risk. This one has a super super high one. And the reason that they got excited, they were excited at the high part of the risk. The part that you can get a huge return. Guess what? When you are looking at risky things, there is not only a high part; there is also a yeah, low part. I don't. We're I not don't, seeing the low part. I don't think it's it's fair for for a lot of people to to sort of not that not that David, you were shaming them or anything like that. But I, I don't think I'm it's. Not, I'm just saying totally it's a risky, risky investment. Yeah, but I I think the point is I don't I don't think a lot Matt of people Damon saw told, it as told a them risky, it was okay. Matt Damon th- said it's okay. I don't think a lot of people understand that it is a risk especially when you have um famous football players that you really admire yeah. seemingly endorsing whatever it is you know let's not forget now let me harp on american education for two seconds you know it's not as though we teach kids coming up in our schools regardless of the school um basic financial skills basic statistics like enough math to understand probabilities so i i i think we're dealing with a lot of um people who were feeling excited and believed in the marketing. And I don't, I, I genuinely do not think they understood risk. And especially when it comes to Robinhood, 
which literally sounds like a good, safe place. You know, it, I, I don't I don't think we can entirely blame the consumer here. You know, I don't know this. Can you actually short um, crypto? Well, I do you know the the process to short anything is extraordinarily challenging. It's to me, it's a little bit like playing craps, which is the only game that I play when I'm in Vegas, in order to make any actual money, you have to have time and you have to have, you have, you have to have a lot of cash on the table to make that work. And you have to be, you have to be able to do math and you have to be able to sort of do that over a long period of time. Sort of, there's like two ways to short a stock. Um, one is you have to, you know, be Dr. Manhattan, like stop time, see what's coming in advance and, you know, pick the day that something bad will happen and then make sure that you get your money out first, but you still have to have hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars to make that work. And you're heavily leveraged. It only leveraged, works if you're a hedge fund, basically. And you're heavily leveraged, so you can get badly yeah. hurt yeah. as well. You can't, you can't short it unless you can, this, you can have someone create an instrument for you to short. Right. Mm. There are, no one is going to create an instrument for crypto because it's so volatile. Oh, there are, there'd be no way to properly gauge the risk. Get ready. There are crypto derivatives. In fact, two-thirds of traditional hedge funds, not crypto hedge funds, Two-thirds of traditional hedge funds are invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum. <laughs> I have to think those hedge funds are hurting at this point, right? Uh, and they're doing it with direct, but also futures, options. They're doing derivatives as well. Derivatives is another, very, by the way, great example of something that was so complicated, nobody understood it except a handful of quants. On uh, on Wall Street, and some there are people who really lost their shirt uh, when the derivatives market uh, crashed because they didn't understand what they were investing in. So do, I I don't want to blame people who lost money in in crypto. I don't. I yes, it was risky, but nobody was telling them it was risky. I was telling them it was risky. <laughs> I'm saying it's. I would say and stay out for uh, more than a year. No, but but either, I mean, I I don't even know. But like you know, there are you know ratings bureaus that rate stocks that rate bonds you know every, it seems like everything in crypto is no, but they weren't rating risk. no but they weren't rating are there yeah. any ratings on these no, things no, or no 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 crypto is an un, it? it's an unregistered uh it's all got the high risk whatever you know the the highest risk rating is it's that times 10 i mean yeah but 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 the average investor doesn't know that. The average investor knows that Alec Baldwin got on TV and right. talked about Toro. What they should, and, and they the sell stocks right next to crypto. Should not be taking their investment advice from Alec Baldwin and Matt Damon. No, but to be fair, no, but, this, but listen, FTI, MLB. Let, let's talk about baseball, right? The umpires had FTX logos. Yeah. The umpires yeah. were, these are supposed to be the impartial yeah. judges on the field. This right? was brilliant. They have a sponsorship on their uniform. SBF bought the umpires. Yeah, but they don't have a choice in that. You're wearing this no, uniform. No, no, no. But this is, this is the, no, no, no. But this is the point that I'm making. I, Trusted. No, I wouldn't They're take trusted. investment advertise, uh, investment trusted. advice from Alec Baldwin. But think about all the people selling reverse mortgages. Yeah. All of the retirees selling reverse. I mean. Listen, it. Um, you may not be the audience for this, David, but there are plenty of people. No, no, I know that, there's an you know, audience. Hence, why yeah. there was so much money spent at the Super Bowl. I keep bringing that up. It's like yeah. they're trying to get people who are it's, not in in. Period. Sequoia, Sequoia put hundred million dollars into offer FTX, an giving them a massive um, uh, over here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, over here, before the the crypto crash, we would get at least one to two pitches a month. For huh. creating either a Jesuit crypto or a Vatican crypto. Oh no! Because because they knew that the number one currency in the crypto game is some sort of legitimacy. 
So, for example, if if a crypto market uh, exchange has bought the naming rights for a, a sports arena, or if they are on the side of an F1 car, people will see that and they'll say, there's obviously money there, so therefore it must be safe. So, yes, you and I may look at that and say, no, this is a super high-risk investment, but they're going to say, if I saw it on the news, if I saw it on Netflix, if I saw it on the, the, the arena the last time I went to go watch the Warriors play, then it can't possibly be a scam. Yeah, But this gets back to the yeah. original premise. That the value that it has, the only value it has, because it doesn't isn't backed by anything. The value it has is how much marketing it has, what it associates it with, and the amount of news that comes out. That's why there's so many news outlets that are about cryptocurrency, and there's so much advertising that's going on because that is how they can keep their value high. If all of a sudden they stopped advertising, there was no more news, it would all crash. Yes, of course. But I that's think there's true gonna... of uh, any currency at no, this point. Not, not yeah, actually, that, that is true. And that's partially why China. So um, a very long story short, when when Russia did its thing and U.S. levied sanctions, um, this this gave the world an alternative to, you know, it showed it showed the rest of the world just how strongly the dollar is tied to decisions that are being made. And it give it gave China an opening. China's digital yuan um, is backed by the government. So again, there's like different types of crypto and different types of exchanges. So the freewheeling ones we have in the West may crash and burn, but the ones that are being developed elsewhere that are um, CBDCs or, or backed in some other way um, by the government, that actually poses a, a little bit of a geopolitical threat. Well, and if the U.S. decided, as I'm sure they will at some point, to do a digital dollar, it's not really yep. that much different than a regular dollar, right? It's all digital these days. I, you know, uh, it's it's not tied to anything. It's a fiat currency, but that doesn't necessarily. I mean, I think people would trust a digital dollar or a digital yuan, but that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about buying just Bitcoin. trust in exchanges, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I'm. I. I don't mean to be like super down. I'm a little down on energy because of the hike, but I'm. I'm really, I'm really worried about these exchanges. I'm not for my own personal finances. I'm just, I'm really worried that a lot of people are, are that's just what I think. blowing through a lot and, of money, and and that's going to just be these. It's going to cause us problems going forward. With the crash in crypto, I've got to wonder how these hedge funds are doing that have all this big, you know, they're putting a lot of money in crypto. Fidelity is like fame. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you can invest your four hundred one k. This is your saving. This, this is, is supposed to be your retirement idea. savings. Bad idea. You know, I, I'm just. I'm terrified that that people's retirement's going to evaporate, and we don't have a social safety net right. in place. And you know why they do By that? The way, before they do that because of demand from away their funds. Yeah, yeah, junk bonds. You know why they do that? They do that because their customers demanded it. I don't think Fidelity thought, "Oh, hey, we really got to come up with no, this." No, no, no. People were saying, "I want to invest in crypto," so they created a, 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 a instrument to do that. Um, there are the a lot of exchanges, They have too. to deliver a product. Their, their customers demanded it. So, and that's the problem. And I think you can't just say, well, it's an ignorant investment. You should never have done it. You should have known it was, uh, I mean, who's buying cartoon apes? I mean, that's obviously stupid. You know why people do it? Because they think they're going to make money on it. They think, well, I, you know, but it's hot right now. So I'm going to buy it low and sell high. Maybe it's Weaponized greedy. FOMO. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. If you want a guarantee, then it's going to be less risk and you're going to get less upside, period. Yeah. 
F somebody's saying FTX guaranteed 8% returns. That's pretty good. I'd take it. Did they actually guarantee it? <laughs> well, apparently not. <laughs> I'm, well, no, I meant like, I wonder what the That should have been the first red been. flag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, uh, no. There's a great article in The Atlantic about the match king of the last century. Did you read that? Um, they're kind of comparing him, Samuel uh, Bankman Freed, to the uh, match king who guaranteed 20 to 30% uh, returns and was also was a you know basically a Ponzi scheme. I mean, but, but that's all what Ponzi schemes do. They the they offer ludicrously high returns. Yeah, and shouldn't people go? Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Um, yes, they should, but they're not. Is it greed? Well, because Is every it? good Ponzi scheme does pay out at the start. Right. And so if if you have a friend who's getting paid by the Ponzi scheme, if you have a friend who has made a million dollars on crypto, it's no longer I'm being safe with my investment. It's I am being stupid because I am falling so far behind everybody else. Yeah. It, that's the weaponized FOMO that Amy was talking about. I think it's just it's people want to believe. They, oh, they yeah, want yeah. To they want to believe. You know, and, they and sometimes believe. like uh, like. If anybody's out there interested in behavioral economics is a wonderful case study because I, I think that desire to believe and to just then you start looking for information that reaffirms your existing beliefs, you know, then you just get stuck. You get stuck. The fact that finance, like there's a whole influencer category that is just finance bros. Who would have, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> if you stop and think about it. Yeah. By the way, my lack of brush with greatness, uh, my mom and Bertie Madoff. <laughs> Were uh, were high school classmates? Did they date? <laughs> no, they did not. But I posted I posted a photo because when I found out that my mom was in the graduating class of Bernie Madoff, I went to go find her yearbook and scan Bernie Madoff's photo, and I and I posted it to the chat here. He was a varsity is. swimming team locker guard. There's a there's a job. Uh, <laughs> he uh, went to Alabama, I guess. Bernard Madoff. Wow. Good-looking young man. You know, there have been great movies made about him. There have been great uh, TV shows made about We Work, called We Crashed, about Uber. Two about the Fire Festival. Two about yeah. the Fire Festival. Uh, of course, Elizabeth Holmes, a dropout. I can't wait for this. And I'm sure it's being optioned already, the Samuel Bank and Freed story. Uh Wow. So, of course, Elizabeth would like to to leave jail now because she thinks she's suffered enough. Yeah, she the judge, by the way, uh, uh, rejected her appeal, and uh, she will be sentenced soon. The feds are asking for, and I almost feel like this is too much, fifteen years for Elizabeth Holmes for Theranos. Does that seem like kind of how how a long lot? did Sunny whatever's last Sunny Balwani hasn't been uh, sentenced yet? He he will be sentenced after her. Leo, it's one thing to steal $100 million from the people. It's another thing to steal $100 million from one of the wealthiest people. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's what she did wrong. (laughs) That's what she She did wrong. She got the DeVos family for $100 million. Right, so again, I I come back to Elon, and is he, I don't know, is there some kind of defrauding that's happening? Or is just you, you don't any bear any real responsibility if you're just causing like a giant cluster. Well, I think that's you know? why. I, look, I don't think uh, Elizabeth Holmes should get 15 years. She's it's 15 years and 800 million dollars uh, fine, but uh, she should get some serious punishment as a warning 
to people that you mm -hmm. don't get off scot-free just because you're wealthy. Mm -hmm. Although, really, you're right, uh, Father Robert. The warning is don't rip off rich people. Yeah. Don't rip off the powerful. Rip off the little people. Bernie Madoff went to jail. Mm -hmm. Died in jail. Uh, all right, let's take... Uh, we, we keep lionizing and demonizing. You know, we That's sort of problem, allow right? this to happen, and then there we are heroes. back, and a couple of people get punished, and then we yeah. just kind of go back to the way things were. We love them. Elon, for years we've known he was the pump and dump king. What He pumped uh, Dogecoin, right? Dogecoin, yeah. 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 Uh, he's the reason why he was able to buy all those uh, those other cryptocurrencies, because he <laughs> pumped Dogecoin so much that the, the previous uh, batch of of uh, Dogecoin that I had that I think was worth a total of $5 was suddenly worth like $15,000. That was That's ridiculous. That should never happen. Right. Uh, and I benefited from it. Right. The church doesn't just take that when you make that money. They don't say thank you. Uh, I mean, it's it's never been transferred into dollars. It's always been going from one. <laughs> yeah, don't, to another, I won't so. tell. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, it's just bits. It's just, just bits. bits. It's That's all it is. Just bits. But you know, for Elon, the pump and dump stuff, it would be really hard to prove that right. he has benefited from it. Others have benefited from it. I don't know if you could say that. He yeah, has the crossed the threshold. Right. Correct. Yeah. Right. Now, he's done a lot of really other shady things. Like, for example, just was it yesterday? They found out that his, he had a 10-year, the director of the car division of Tesla, had he had been getting paid in stock options. And Elon Musk had asked him to forfeit $600 million worth of those stock options. And that's one of the ways that, that Elon continues to, to appear successful. He just... Right. Takes away money from the employees that they were supposed to get. He did the same thing when he went to Twitter. He's 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 going to go through this whole court case with the top executives because he says they were released for cause. Of course, that's ridiculous, but it will run through long enough for for him to be able to report it on his balance sheet that that was a successful sale. Wow! It's so. Is wow. it illegal? Probably not. Not criminally. Uh, is it immoral? Absolutely. But his his stands don't care about that. Wow. Uh, do you think that, um, what do you, uh, we, we don't do popularity polls on, uh, moguls, but we should, I wonder what Twitter's, uh, approval rating is. I mean, uh, Elon's approval rating is right now. I think the biggest benefit to the acquisition of Twitter by Elon Musk is Jeff Bezos, because suddenly he doesn't look like a bond vi the villain anymore. Yeah. I think, I think Elon has taken that position. Amy Webb is here. She uh, is the author of a fabulous book. I was just reminded in the chat, The Genesis Machine. I love this book, and you should absolutely read it. It's all about uh, biotech and how it will change uh, the world around us. It's a fascinating read. Our quest to rewrite life in the age of synthetic biology. Available on Amazon. There's an Audible version of it. You can get it on your Kindle as well. Fascinating. It was just named to the uh, New Yorker's best list, best uh, nonfiction books of the year. <gasps> Congratulations. Thanks. That's really great. Thank you. They're right. It's one of those books I think it's important to read to kind of know about what's happening and what might happen in the near future. I mean, we're really headed into this. You know, we've been in the information age. I think we're in definitely in the uh, yeah. the synthetic bio age of synthetic biology is coming rapidly. Yep. 
I really do think that's the next general purpose technology, yeah. which again is like, so it's a technology that at some point um, fundamentally shifts societies, economies, geopolitics. So steam engine, internet, um, and at some point it gets so big, the only way to calculate the total value is to do it in reverse. You know, what if we took the internet away? I, I really do think that's that's engineered please biology. Don't take the internet away, please. Please don't <laughs> I do that. I won't do that. <laughs> uh, your timing was great, of course, because we all had a direct experience of synthetic biology sure with the did. mRNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what you know, I've had five five shots now. <laughs> it's, Good for you. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, did you get got, all the same flavor, or did you get? Did you have? I a got a new flavor. flavor. I've been doing vanilla, and I said to go chocolate. I had uh, four Modernas, and you can't for some reason. I, I don't know why I couldn't get a Moderna. They're like, I don't know why they just didn't have any. They've been out for months, so they said, "Well, get the Pfizer." So I got the Pfizer. Apparently, that was a good choice to mix it up. So yeah. Throw me the book. John went out and, and got the book, which I have oh. I have left here, so I could prove I own it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Really, really uh, great stuff. You do talk about the mRNA vaccines, lab-grown hamburger, and yeah. uh, you talk about risks, but you also have, it's one of my favorite parts of the book, uh, scenarios, uh, kind of future-looking uh, scenarios about what might happen. I just got a wonderful compliment. Maybe. It's my version of a compliment. Um, so I was at, I was doing something uh, with DOD last week and I had a, a two-star come up to me. I had somebody come up to me and say, normally their job is to to tell others um, scenarios for the future. And, and they, usually the other people say, oh, that's, I don't want to go to sleep now. That's really terrifying. And the yeah. person who's in charge of doing that said that I just did that to him. <laughs> and uh, he feels like he's not going to be able to go to sleep. So it's <laughs> nice to know that my um, my waking nightmares uh, put put an, enough fear into the people. You mission accomplished. <laughs> yes, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. It's not all bad, right? No, I listen, I again, I well, first of all, I think it's inevitable. So it's it's good Doesn't or bad. Matter. It's right, here. Right. Um, I'm. I think the risks for me have more to do with um, bioweapons, which I, I don't right. want to see, and right. uh, not having equal distribution. I, I don't think it was good that big parts of the world didn't have access to any vaccines because of money. I thought that was ridiculous. Um, so anyway, I think there's significant risk. I'm very worried about what China's doing. Um, but I also think there's huge opportunity. I really do. I mean, I think it's probably our best at this point, best hope for climate change mediation. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's a. Uh, I started reading the book. book. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> a book about biology, but it's not like a super nerdy science book. It's, no, it's, uh, it's great. It's a book about the future. I just started reading about collecting DNA off of uh, President Trump's fork. And I now I've got to put that. Bad, bad dreams. Bad yeah, dreams. I was I was there when that happened. Actually, yeah, at uh, at Davos, right? Oh no! Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they collected DNA samples from the the discarded utensils of all world leaders. The Ernest Project, crazy. You got to read the book, The Genesis Machine: Our Quest to Rewrite Life in the Age of Synthetic Biology. Let's take a little break. David Sparks also here. Uh, Father Robert Balasser. Always fun to have these three in the room. I'm just going to sit back and listen. It's fantastic. Our show today brought to you by Mint Mobile. This is now you. There are there are the big cell phone companies which cost a lot of money. Just if you're on AT and T, T Mobile, Verizon, 
you're probably paying, uh, you know, 80 to $100 a line. You're spending a lot of money. I look at sometimes I look at that cell bill and I go, wow, wow, I can't believe I'm paying that much. And it's gone up and up and up, hasn't it? Well, there's a better way. There's something called Mint Mobile. And I talk to more and more people all the time who say, Leo, I did it. And that's incredible. Premium wireless starting at $15 a month. And there's no there's no catch. There's no plot twist. This is actually the price. Premium wireless from Mint Mobile, $15 a month. No two-year contract. No crazy fees when you open your bill. No, they don't lure you in with free subscriptions to tr streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and they get charged the full price for. They don't do any of that. In fact, the way they save money is by not doing that, by not even having stores, by doing it all online, and it is amazing. You're going to get unlimited talk and text, high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network. 15 bucks a month gets you 4 gigabytes a month of data plus unlimited talk and text. You can get more. 20 bucks a month, 10 gigabytes. That's more than, I think, almost anybody. I went crazy. <laughs> I got the $25 a month. There's even an unlimited plan. It's still only $30 a month. Unlimited talk and text nationwide. High-speed data. It's on the T-Mobile network. I'll tell you the secret. They're a T-Mobile NVNO. I, it's amazing. You can bring your own phone. They will send you a SIM card for free. And by the way, they do eSIM. So if you've got the new iPhone, they do eSIM as well, which is great. Makes it very easy to switch over. You can port your number over, keep the same phone number. They sell phones too. So in fact, I bought an iPhone from them, iPhone SE, for $15 a month. Such a great deal. Switch to Mint Mobile, get premium wireless service, starts at $15 a month. No hidden fees, no contract, no extras, just simple. Just simple. $15 a month. There are no unexpected plot twists. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Take advantage of this. Everybody I know is switching because it just makes no sense to pay five times more. Mintmobile.com slash twit. You'll make your wallet very happy. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Thank you, Mint Mobile for uh, your support for the show. We are oh, we're going long. I know I always can tell the shows goes long when we have a great panel here. Let's do a few other uh, things. A bit of trouble for Apple. Gizmodo published a story uh, that really, I think, stuck it to Apple a little bit, basically saying... Uh, that it's lip service, that Apple's paying lip service to privacy, and uh, they uh, I'll, I'll, they they did a bunch of researcher research. They found that the iPhone data is collected even when Apple says we're not going to collect data. Um, they they tested multiple iPhones, uh, Apple Analytics data, regardless of your settings, sent to Apple. As a result. There's a class action lawsuit filed immediately after the article came out in California federal court claiming that the uh, the iPhone is is violating privacy rules. The problem was spotted by two independent researchers, according to Gizmodo, at a software company called MISK, M-Y-S-K. They found the Apple App Store sends the company exhaustive information about everything you do in the app. Now, this you have to be in the App Store. Despite a privacy setting, 
iPhone Analytics, which claims to, quote, disable the sharing of device analytics altogether when switched off. Gizmodo asked the researchers to run additional tests on other iPhone apps. Apple Music does the same thing. Apple TV, Apple Books, Apple Stocks. Most of Apple's suite of built-in iPhone apps track you, violating the California Invasion of Privacy Act. Um, the plaintiff said in the suit, Apple's privacy guarantees are completely illusory. Apple has not responded. Thoughts? Well, I was going to get an iPhone for the first time in like many, many years. And the reason was privacy. They, that has been their differentiator. I know. They've, I know. in I'm fact, like, put billboards on this. And this yeah. has been like a hot topic we've discussed is how security and privacy actually can be a product differentiator to push people to want to buy. And so this is, you know, flying in the face of what they are in trying, intending to sell. Now, I this is my first of hearing it right now. Um, they could just come out and go, oh, we screwed up big time. This is how we're fixing it. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how it's handled. Researchers looked uh, at Health and Wallet. They did not collect analytics data, but the Stocks app sends your list of watch stocks, the names of stocks you viewed or searched for, time stamps for when you did it, as well as records of any news articles you saw in the app. Um, you know what? Okay, now this, since the app is connected to a server that has those settings, those news articles come from, all of that stuff would be collected anyway in the nature of the business of the app, right? I'm not trying to let Apple off the hook, but sometimes you see these things and it's like, oh my God, they know what stocks you picked. Well, yeah, because that's how it works so that when you choose stocks in the on the Mac, it propagates the phone and vice versa. Apple does have to keep track of that. Um, that's so, the part of the functionality. That's of the, the functionality of the yeah. app. Yeah. You can't actually search for an app if the app doesn't know what apps are. You can't search for an app if the app store doesn't know what apps are compatible with your phone. Right. So it needs that data to be able to offer you the selection that will work with your device. So if you were, but, and I get that, Leo, but the problem is, as both David and Amy have, have already stated, they sold this as a product feature. They told people in their commercials and in all of their press events that we will not track you at all. We give you that power. Now, if they had told told you that, oh, except in the app store, then everything would be fine. Like I use an Android phone. I know I'm being tracked six ways to Tuesday. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I expect no privacy. It's a given. Yeah. But if I went with an iPhone, that would be the reason why I did. And to now know that, oh, this was just another PR puff piece to try to get me to, to buy them, they'll then no, you've just broken my trust again. But, but he, honest to God, what amazes me most about all of this is how we care about it now. Uh, I'll just yeah. uh, backtrack. 12 years ago, I was in an event of which I heard Eric Schmidt of Google saying, we can track with very high probability where you will go next. Right. And nobody blinked like, oh my God. Like nobody got, everyone's like, oh, that's quite fascinating. Like no one cared about privacy 12 years ago. They simply did not. Today, they do. You could not say that without tomatoes being thrown at you. Right. Um, I don't, yeah, you know, my as my friend Jeff Jarvis would remind me, and I want to create techno panic uh, because some of this is just the operation of the app itself. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, and EFF has pointed this out as well, a lot of times 
the thing is, will they sell that information to third party? No, neither Google nor Facebook nor Apple tells third parties about you. They don't want to. They keep that to themselves so they can sell ads against it. it it's not in their interest to give that information away. And so in most cases, first party information is held by the first party. But, you know, Apple's perfectly happy to say no third party can let that information and kind of pretend that they're not collecting the information when they certainly could if they wanted to. And now that they're putting ads uh, in many places, including, by the way, Apple Maps, there is certainly an incentive for them to start collecting that data and use it to sell those ads, right? Yeah, I, I really I want to see how they're going to re respond. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. they respond this is, is going, brand new. They can either yeah. say, look, this is not an issue, that they got it wrong, or they could say, ah, we overlooked this. We'll, we'll upgrade the privacy policy, uh, but we do need to have this information. Yeah. And that's an extremely so, good yeah. point, Padre, because, again, we bring this up all the time. Being breached, having you know a privacy issue or something like that, that is not the issue because now it's literally happening to everybody. Um, what the issue is, how you deal with it in a very public manner, how you address it and manage it. And also... These moments really sh can present uh, staff and companies an opportunity to shine. This could actually turn out good for Apple if they respond yeah. extremely well. Mm. And, and I do want to throw out one other comment here about people making comments of like, I don't care, you know, track me. And I've heard this so many times. And I just want to stress to people who say that, yes, you do need to care because the 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 way to hack the way to get to you is to use your information and to use the information that others have on you so your relatives too and your friends and so you do actually need to care about this even if you quote have nothing to hide can i can i offer one additional one additional dynamic to what david just said yes um <laughs> We were in Ireland on a rented a car. This pre-COVID, we're we're driving around. Uh, we're at the southern tip. Uh, Brian decided to take a shortcut to get to the ferry, and it was my daughter and he and I. She was. We were all very excited to be on a ferry. We'd never been on a car on a boat, so this is a very exciting moment. But we needed to make sure <laughs> it's the little things, isn't there. it? It's the little <laughs> things that make such. And a so difference. anyhow, uh, he says to me, "Drop a pin," and I say to him, "I can't." And he's yelling at me. He's very frustrated. Um, just this is how he's trying to explain to me how to do it. Right. You're just, you're on an Android. You just, you don't know. And I'm like, nope, I'm just telling you, I can't do it. He starts losing his mind and he never gets he never gets mad. But he was so frustrated. He wanted to get the car on the boat so we could have the whole experience. And finally, I was like, I don't have any location turned on. He it's was like, what the hell is wrong if you were Overseas, you're supposed to be navigating. I'm like, yeah, I'm following a static map. You know, like I know where we're going. I just can't drop a pin. I'll remember where we are. Well, almost the, caused a divorce. But but the other issue is people who post photos while they're on vacation or post announcement they're gone. There was I can't remember the name of the website again. I'm hoping the chat room comes through here. It was a for people who posted on Twitter like I'm on vacation here. I'm doing this. I'm that. It was it was entitled "Come Rob Me" or "Come Break Into My House." dot com, <laughs> advertising that fact because you are literally advertising. I'm not home. Well, Break there's in. a business model that does work. Yes, for some people. <laughs>
Um, Leo, one day I'm going to show you my location data out of my Google history because since I, I fuzz my data, right. Google constantly thinks that I'm in about 15 different places. Yeah. How do you do that, Padre? I have dummy devices uh, okay. in many of the data closets he and works data centers really that I hard. set up around the world. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, Fair enough. It, it does mean that my advertising is never accurate. I'm always getting pitched yeah. stuff from cities I'm not in right. or in languages I don't speak. That's yeah. Here is the. By the uh, way, it's pleaserobme.com. Yeah, I was Thank just going to say, Scooter X found the site. <laughs> uh, please rob me. I, uh, I don't care. You know, I have alligators living uh, in the house when I'm not home. I'm not worried too much. Um, I share a lot as of it. As long as you have alligators. The only bad thing that ever happened to me was Robert Scoble once showed up at lunch. Uh, I said, How'd you find me? He said, You posted on Foursquare all the time. So, but that's the only <laughs> bad thing. That ever happened. Well, it's specifically, well, you just have to block Robert Scoble. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's, <laughs> by the way, nobody else has ever done that. Just Scoble. Of course, right? Just, of course. Because of the alligators. Because the alligators they stay away from the house. Um, Apple has uh, lost its web search uh, team uh, to Google. They came to Apple from Google and now they're going back. Apple in 2018 bought a. Uh, company called laser like now this is not search on the app store this is actually apple uh creating technology f like like google for spotlight and siri suggestions uh siri which is notoriously stupid often says let me show you what i found on the web about that they wanted to make it smarter um so they hired or bought this company and hired the uh, founders Four years later, they probably vested their stock because they're gone back to Google. <laughs> uh, so don't expect Siri to get uh, smarter any anytime soon. Uh, let's see what else. Um, let's take a, actually let's take a little break because I want to. You got a couple of stories in here. I want to talk to you about uh, David Spark about uh, security. I want to get to those in just a little bit. First, though, I want to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Noom. Usually, when we do Noom, I like to uh, I like to parade my wife in here. She is the poster girl for Noom. We actually have a lot of poster people for Noom. Uh, Retcon Five was in our chat room. He's the poster boy. We were on the uh, the the Twit cruise uh, last July, and I knew that he was going to come on the cruise, and I couldn't find him. And I went into the Discord. I said, Retcon, I thought you were going on the uh, on the trip with us. He said, I'm right, I'm right behind you. Turn around. I said, I didn't even recognize him. He had lost, this blows me away, 100 pounds. I saw him recently, kept the weight off, looks great. 100 pounds. I said, how did you do it? He said, Noom. I've done Noom, lost 20 pounds. Lisa lost about the same. She did not need to lose it. She looks great, though. She's happy. And she. I'll tell you what, she's doing it religiously. She loves Noom. Noom Weight has a psychology-first approach that really works. It works for me. It worked for Retcon. It, it worked for my wife. It empowers you to build more sustainable habits and behaviors, and the results last. To date, Noom Weight has helped more than 3.6 million people lose weight, and, and it does it with a very personal program. In fact, because they're completely customizing the program to you to how you think about food, to how do you relate to food, to your goals. Every journey is different. Your lessons are personalized to you, your goals, but also how much time you want to spend. You can choose your level of support from five-minute daily check-ins 
to personal coaching. They have a group you can join. Uh, so you get a coach, you get the the lessons, you get the group. But one thing you don't get, a list of things you can't eat. Noom does not believe in restricting what you can or cannot eat. That was kind of a mind blower for me. I'm on, I've been on such restrictive diets in the past. Noom, it's not about perfection. It's, it's, it's not about restriction. It's about learning how you think about food. For instance, I learned I'm a fog eater. I come home after work and I stuff my face. Uh, and I'm not even aware of the food I've eaten. I don't even know it. Uh, it's it's almost unconscious. By becoming more conscious, aware, Lisa and I now sit down, we turn off the TV, we put away our phones, we've got silverware, cloth napkins, and we eat. And sometimes, and it's it's a little weird, but it's just the two of us, we'll, we'll stop, we'll close our eyes, and we'll actually really taste what we're eating. And I can't tell you what a big difference that makes. Progress is in a straight line. Noom knows that. Off days, totally okay. In fact, I even get bonus days when I've, When I've been doing well, they said, oh, eat anything you want today. It's a bonus day. And then Noom Weight gets you back on track. It's grounded in science. Active Noomers lose an average of 15 pounds in 16 weeks. So I should say, Matt and Lisa and my experience is not typical. Typically, 15 pounds in 16 weeks. I have to say, though, 95% of customers say Noom Weight is a good long-term solution. I think that's a real test of anything. It's easy to lose weight, really. It's hard to keep that weight off, and Noom does it. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that inform users, practitioners, scientists, and the public about their methods and effectiveness. The best thing about Noom, it's not work. It's not suffering. It's not deprivation. It's fun. It's like I'm learning, I'm do- and then it's natural. And you absorb it, and you do it for the rest of your life. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom Weight's psychology-based approach. It really works. Sign up for your trial today. Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash twit. Go to the website, actually, and read up on it. There's some really good stuff there. If if you have any questions, you'll find it all there. Noom dot com slash twit. Sign up for your trial at noom dot com slash twit. They've got a new book, too, which is great. You could check it out. The Noom Mindset, it's called. It's a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change. Actually, it's not out yet, but you can get it. uh, You can pre-order it right now. The Noom mindset. Uh, another great way to kind of learn about what's going on. But honestly, I, I want you to do the, get the app, do the program, put it on your iPhone, or your Android phone, you, you log your meals, you take, you do the lessons, you talk to your coach, you talk to your group. It is a system that really supports you and really works. Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash twit. We are very happy Noomers in my family. Now, let's take a little break and watch a little movie that we made about this week on Twit. Can you hear us now? Can you hear me? Can anybody hear me? Can you hear us now? Previously on Twit. Coming up next on Hands on Windows, we're going to take a look at how you can customize the lock and sign-in screens in Windows 11. Floss Weekly. Our guest, Greg Crow Hartman, is a fellow of the Linux Foundation. Uh, he's currently responsible for the stable Linux kernel releases. So you need to put processes in place to catch everybody. 
all the bugs. So I want my I want our testing tools and processes and infrastructure to catch all the bugs that I write. Because infamously, I have written some pretty bad security bugs over the years um, <laughs> and fixed them later. But it's, it's just the way it goes. We're all human. Tech News Weekly. Amazon looking to cut costs, particularly in its devices area. I feel like that is because Amazon's realizing that they can't just throw a bunch of money at a house robot that nobody wants um, (laughs) and expect that they're not going to lose money there. So they just need to take their focus off of like twerking bears and um, other strange (laughs) products that people don't want. I forgot about the bear. (laughs) (laughs) It was hilarious, but like pointless. (laughs) We always have a lot of fun. We were playing with this new Zoom technology that allows us all to sing at the same time. Unfortunately, we weren't singing the same song, so that kind of didn't really uh, uh, work so well. Uh, That hands-on Windows, by the way, uh, you may say, where's that? That's a club-only special. If you're not a member of Club Twit, I want to remind you, we do some club-only shows because the club pays for them, in effect. Uh, So I want you to join Club Twit at twit.tv slash club twit. It's 7 bucks a month. It really makes a difference to our bottom line. And frankly, it, going forward, I think it's going to be more and more important to keeping all of our shows on the air. You get ad-free versions of all the shows because we don't need to do ads. We don't need to track you. We just, you know, you're paying for it. You also get access to the wonderful Discord, which is always full of fun uh, and great stuff. And uh, I'm looking at a animated GIF right now in there that is, looks like Elon as a... I love that. As a deacon, the Twit home. Army will not be defeated. Yeah, yes. There's a <laughs> Shiba Ibu yeah. in there, Ibu Shiba Inu, and uh, Bitcoin. That's it's great. all in there together. It's all all at once. Anyway, this is the kind of fun that happens in the Discord. You also get the Twit Plus feed, which is where that whole singing thing uh, showed up. Uh, stuff that happens before and after shows, plus shows like I said that we don't normally. Uh, put out in public like Hands on Macintosh with Micah, Hands on Windows with Paul Therott, The Untitled Linux Show with Jonathan Bennett, The Giz Fizz with Dick T. Bartol, uh, Stacy's Book Club. There's a lot of stuff we do. I'm going to do more and more in the club as well. I've been planning a whole whole bunch of ideas. We have our own Minecraft servers. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and, and all of it is really about uh, uh, financing what we do here at Twit so we're less dependent on advertisers. Uh, we love our advertisers, but frankly, uh, with a recession... The downturn, it's getting a little harder. The club makes a big difference. We really need that. So please, if you're not a member, and I understand money's tight, but if you're not a member, you can afford 7 bucks a month or more. Twit.tv slash club twit. It also finances the Twit forums, which are open to all at twit.community and the Mastodon instance, which, uh, what is it, 20 times more expensive than it was last month. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, well, you had what, 2,000% growth? No, no, no. That's you're underestimating it. I had fifteen thousand. You want to see the growth? Okay. You want to see the growth, man? This is cray cray. And what happened was eight. Now it's eighteen thousand six hundred forty-two percent growth in new users, active users. Now almost three thousand. It was like three hundred until two weeks ago. Uh, so that ends up costing money, and the club supports that as well. Although it is open to all, so. If, if people ask me, well, how can we help you with the uh, Mastodon server? Join the club. Join the club, and you get a lot more than just uh, access to our Mastodon server. But everybody can go to the forums in the Mastodon server and our IRC and all of that. Uh, you know, we, we really want to continue to offer all the free services we do. It's just that it really is helpful. 
if you uh, help us out. Hey, I wanted to mention that this weekend is a tribute to the Internet's own boy, uh, Aaron Schwartz. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's his, it was his birthday, I think, on the, uh, on the 12th. And uh, EFF has been celebrating uh, his life. Aaron was a very important person uh, to the Internet, worked on uh, some of the most important pieces uh, of the Internet, including, uh, what, RSS and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. He uh, was, I think, persecuted uh, Mm -hmm. by uh, the feds in 2013 under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. What did he do? He was trying to free academic journal articles from the JSTOR database. He downloaded a bunch of them uh, because we paid for them in the first place and JSTOR was charging people to get access to them. Uh, uh, Facing the prospect of a long and unjust sentence, he took his life uh, at a very tender age, 26. But he was, for everyone who knew him, uh, just amazing. Uh, So we just wanted to mention that. And EFF had a, a streaming event at the Internet Archive this weekend. Um, I'm sure they'll put that online yeah, for people who can't uh, make it in person and so forth. Uh, the Internet. His story oh needs boy. to be told more. I agree. More. I mean, we we all know the story, but there are generations that need to know that no, there was a there was a man who was doing something absolutely right, and the full weight of the U.S. government was brought down on him for no other reason than. They didn't know how to deal with people who wanted the information they'd already paid for. Yep. That was it. Yep. He worked on RSS, Markdown, Creative Commons, the web framework web.py. He was given the title of co-founder of Reddit by Paul Graham after the formation of Not A Bug Incorporated, (laughs) uh, the company uh, that he merged with Alexis Ohanian and Steve Huffman's uh, Reddit. He worked on civic uh, activism. He was a research fellow at Harvard's Safra Research Lab on Institutional Corruption under Larry Lessig. He founded the online group Demand Progress. That's the group that fought SOPA um, successfully, I might add. He was very important to uh, the Internet and uh, a great loss uh, to us all. So I thought I would uh, mention that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this piece you did in your CISO series, David, mm-hmm. about cyber attacks. You'd think, oh, they're constantly creating new stuff. And no, in fact, <laughs> some of the dumbest, easiest hacks are still in widespread use. You did this at Black Hat, yes? Yes, at Black Hat. So... What the the two guys you see in that photo there for that video, that is um, Bart Stump and Neil Weiler, who goes by the name Grifter. And they run the knock at Black Hat, the knock standard for the network operation. Oh, that must be fun. Oh, yeah. And in fact, Grifter has referred to it as, as Christmas for him because <laughs> what he sees in over just a period of three, four days on that specific network is what you might see if it's bad, an entire year at right. some other company. Like, it's just this highly abused network, mostly because people go to Black Hat the first couple of days for training, and they're purposely trying out techniques on the network. <laughs> the most pen-tested network in the history of mankind. <laughs> it's Yeah, what, what Bart said, he goes, 
if this you saw this in a real environment, it, it would be a bad year. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was a good line. Yeah. The um, but I always ask him, I go, so, you know, what's cool and new? Like, what did you see? Because honestly, that's why people come to Black Hat, you know, and to, heck, to any conference. I want to know what's new and cool. And the sad reality, and, and I can't remember the CISO who said this, he said, the reality is the thing you were worried about before you went to Black Hat is going to be the same thing you're worried about after you leave Black Hat. It's not going to be anything new. And honestly, it's because the simple things like credential stuffing and phishing work yep. and they're cheap yep. and they're effective. Yep. Sad to say, I bet you uh, you go to Black Hat. Did you go to Black Hat this year, uh, Father Robert? Um, I was supposed to, but then uh, there was a last-minute change of my oh, schedule. I will be going this year, though, good. and I have promises from over here that they've cleared that. that there's, there's nothing that can possibly change my schedule except for one person, one person. One thing, could ask one little thing, something. one little yeah. thing. But other than that... Yeah. So you usually go to DefCon and Black Hat. You would never attempt to hack the knock, would you? Apps always. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The first thing I do. <laughs> well, there's the wall of sheep, isn't there? That's they where they the that's DefCon. That's DefCon where they put up. Well, a, no, I yeah, think they also do it at Black Hat. Actually, the list of the, oh, that's right. Yeah, they've added. They do it at Black Hat. It. But I will tell you, the wall of sheep is getting a lot of. Um, negative press oh uh, i will tell you definitely why among the cybersecurity community because it is um it's embarrassing it's embarrassing and this is not what we want to do in cybersecurity. um you know you don't bring people into cybersecurity, and let me define what the wall of sheep is people who get hacked get literally exposed <laughs> and published and the idea being look at how weak this person's security is we were able to break into them and that to mock someone is not a way to bring them in the fold of understanding the importance of cybersecurity. Because one of the things that we talk about endlessly is it is not just the security department's job for security. It is the entire company's responsibility. Uh, you want everyone to be on board. We on do not want to expose people, mock them, make them look like a fool. Because that is not a way to get people excited about joining your club here's why people I are do, mad i do have two plus sheep that i got from wall of sheep oh. and I, have a, I have a very nice shirt so if if you <laughs> ever do get hacked you can go over there and and they'll actually give you <laughs> at least you get a reward soon. on the wall of sheep website what are a few of the most crazy things you've seen while sniffing traffic someone decided it'd be a good idea to file their taxes while at defcon oh no we disagree it's, it's funny you say that <laughs> no. i i've gone out with like an editor and the number one I th thing i say is don't do anything financial while you're at Black Hat. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. stay off of it. <laughs> yeah. A well-respected author and authority in the security community decided to share their unpublished book and their bank statements with us by not using SSL. Great book, by the way. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, it's uh, it's pretty. It's funny. Well, I hope they keep doing it, um, but I understand why. Some people might be a little bit upset. The best years were when uh, AOL Instant Messenger was still active oh, because boy. that was completely, completely unencrypted. unencrypted. That was all yeah. in the clear. Yeah. Yeah. So if you started sniffing the network, you would just get all of these conversations, uh, sometimes out of context, sometimes it's salacious information. Um, and, and yeah, that's actually part of the show. That's Everyone yeah. expects that. This, yeah. That's the reason why every device I have that goes to DEFCON Black Hat gets reformatted immediately after the <laughs> yes, show. Exactly.
Uh, do they still do Spot the Fed? Oh, I don't even know about Spot the Fed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of... Uh, is that old? It's easier now. Yeah, because the yeah. Feds don't really hide in the fact that they're there. This is like, right. you know, big thing. Black Hat, they're there, and then they're there, and they're publicly there. DEFCON Correct. is where they might be well, surreptitiously there, yeah? We've actually had feds do presentations at DEF CON. Oh, okay. Well, there you so, go. so that's easy to spot, a spot fed. the fed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I have to say, I did not know this was a big deal, but um, the internet schooled me. Kevin Conroy uh, passed away yeah. this week. And I confess, I didn't know who he is. He was a young 66, passed away after a short battle with cancer. Uh, he was Batman. Now you may say, "Wait a minute, not, not which Batman was he?" Well, he was the voice of Batman in all the animated Batman serials that mm-hmm. apparently most of the internet grew up with. So you knew who the he- animated series, Superman, the animated series, right. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, uh, the movies that came off of those, uh, Batman Beyond. I mean, really, of all, he had the most screen time of any actor playing Batman. Mm. Wow. Um, Keith Levine died too. Who's Keith Levine? Uh, the Clash and uh, oh yeah, that's public, right. Public Pil. Yeah, yep, yep. If you were yeah. uh, well, if we're talking, also Gallagher passed away. Gallagher passed him. away. I yeah. saw him. My parents took me to see him a billion years ago. <laughs> he was a uh, fairly young. I think he was seventy-six. Uh, great comedian, famous for smashing watermelon on stage. Apparently, not the nicest guy ever, but very funny. Mm. He, he, yeah. he rubbed uh, rubbed a few comedians the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> There's, a, there's an infamous episode of Mark Maron's podcast. WTF, he walked out on it. Where he walked out on it. Why did yeah. he, you know, I haven't heard that. I, I saw Wait, that he did Wait, who walked that. out on who? Gallagher walked <laughs> out. Gallagher walked out walked on out. Maron. I, I believe they actually, they were in a hotel room, I'm thinking, of huh. Maron's. And he walked out. And essentially, Maron just started getting into it with uh, Gallagher, you know, just asking about his act, you know. Honestly, I don't think Marin respected Gallagher's act. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of comedians who just flat out do not respect. He's, he's like, comics, a little bit like carrot, carrot top. Yeah, a little, a little too much prop. So yeah. essentially, yeah. Gallagher just didn't want to hear it, and he walked out. And he, he, you know, instead of sort of engaging Mark, he just said, "I'm not dealing with this," and he walked out on him. <laughs> it's just a podcast. What do I? Nobody listens to this. <laughs> Marin wasn't as huge as he is now when he interviewed uh, okay. him, but he had a significant audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, time. I got to say, uh, it's one of the things that everybody mentioned when they mentioned Gallagher. So yeah, huh. be careful who you walk out on. Thank you all for not walking out on me. I appreciate it. We uh, we love seeing you, Father Robert Ballasare, the digital Jesuit, digitaljesuit.com. He's on the Mastodon. Dot net. Dot net. Dot net. Let's fix that. We've had the wrong lower third. The whole well, dot net dot com. They all go. They'll all go to the oh, same they all place. Work. Okay. I, I tore the website down because I needed to redo it so it will verify Mastodon. Oh wow! All you have to do is put a link <laughs> that says rel equals me. Can't I know, but I got hard. obsessive compulsive and I didn't like uh, Outlook, so I just <laughs> tore everything up. Ah, now I get it. You're one of those. Do you still do the uh, the Factorio server and the? Various servers, the Vatican servers. We've got a couple of them running. the The Minecraft server melted down a while, literally melted down, um, uh, physically. Physically melted of, of graphene, um, but we're getting that back up. It's it's fun. I don't get as much time to game as I did during the pandemic, uh, but uh, 
but yeah, I probably spend too much time playing uh, a game called uh, Oxygen Not Included. Oh, that sounds deadly. I, I think I've spent more time playing that than you played Simpsons Tapped Out. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> you didn't spend more money on it, though. Uh, anyway, great to have you, Father Robert. I look forward to seeing you in uh, the Vatican in the spring and perhaps here sometime sooner than that. I'll be back for CES. Yay. Oh, that's right. You did put that up mm-hmm. on uh, on the Twitter and the Mastodon that you're going to CES mm-hmm. this year. Very brave of mm-hmm. you. Oh, I'll be masked up. I'm going to wear a bunny suit. Yeah, that's a good idea. Are you looking <laughs> forward to that, CES? No? Sorry, you cut out. Oh, okay. He's not looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, uh, okay. for me, the, the tech is really secondary. It's seeing people that I only see once or twice a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's my that's networks. Part, Those are my it? friends. Those are yeah. my colleagues. And uh, they'll let me in on some, some interesting stories around techdom. Good. We hope you will uh, give us some pieces or something. A report in. Something like that. Because we're my pleasure. I, I don't think I'm going to be going. I haven't gone since 2020. I was just you, at Jitex, which is like the Middle Eastern version of CES, yeah. where I did actually see some pretty where interesting was, stuff. Because like I was in, it was in Dubai. I was in Dubai working, and Jitex is the yeah. But like Iranian technology, I saw Iranian oh, drones. I saw stuff from Russia. You know, you see stuff you can't, you won't see in the U.S. No, you might see in Ukraine though. You definitely yeah. might. Yeah. yeah. Amy it will probably be at the International Pavilion. There is a pavilion There's, at CES that's where it's specifically fun. dedicated to smaller but not international Iran. firms. <laughs> I don't think no. Iran will be there. I really, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Father Robert. Thank you, Amy Webb. Future Tech Today Institute is her her uh, futurist uh, effort. Of course, her books, all of them are great. The latest, The Genesis Machine, Our Quest to Rewrite Life in the Age of Synthetic Biology. Her feet, her dogs might be barking, but she's happy to be here. That's that's what I'm going to say. Thank you. Sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure to have you on, Amy. Uh, and thank you, David Spark. CISOseries.com you, if you're interested in security and what the chief information security officer thinks about. Yeah. Series In cybersecurity, want to break into cybersecurity, are a leader in cybersecurity. We like your community as well. It, you know, one of the unique things I found about the cybersecurity community, they have a damn good sense of humor. I love very them. funny group. Oh people. yeah. Oh yeah. I love them. Absolutely. Thank you, David. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, father Robert. I want to give one plug. We don't usually do picks on this show, but this guy put so much effort into it. I don't know why his name is Parker Reed and he did a cut down of how many? Like two or three hundred twit opens. Oh, this is right. from two thousand nine to a couple of weeks ago. You can watch my hairstyles change. <laughs> you can watch my seat change. There we are at CES. You can watch, uh, hear about what stories we were talking about at that time. You could, you. I mean, it's just over and over. And there's a lot of them. It's time for Twit this weekend. Tech, the show where we cover the latest tech. So I don't know why Parker decided to do this. <laughs> I guess it was fun. I'm, I'm glad he did that. I watched I am in the a whole time. thing. You yeah. watched the whole thing. I watched the whole thing. I mean, it's it's fascinating to see 
The set changed, the quality of the video changed, the topics changed. It's the hosts four changed. hours and 41 minutes of nothing but me. I could, I can, I couldn't watch it for more than a minute. But um, thank you for, I guess, and thank you very much, Parker, for doing this. It's on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Parker Reed. This Week in Tech, intro supercut. And, you know, you might say, well, what happened to the first 200 episodes? Why aren't they there? Well, we didn't have video. So I guess he started with the very first with video, which is me this week in the this cottage. Week Kevin Rose goes makeup free. Patrick Norton files his first lawsuit. And Dvorak goes retro. Twit is next. That was like that was like the beginnings of Twit. Dvorak, Rose, Norton. I did I was I did one of those audio episodes. I remember yeah. with Kevin Rose and Jason Calacanis. Yeah. And I was in the cottage once as well. Nice. With Jim Lauterback and I'm trying to remember the other. Well, just go through this. You probably could find oh, it. Uh Baritunde. Oh, Baritunde. Uh, as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, apparently, Jason is in the room where it happens at Twitter, which is hysterical. In fact, <laughs> I didn't. We didn't talk about it, but the best article about the whole uh, Twitter thing is a New York Times article that does, in fact, uh, talk about uh, Jason. It's uh, called Two Weeks of Chaos." If you want a great read, this is the beginning of a book. I think Two Weeks of Chaos" inside Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Uh, they even have a picture of Jason. And they talk about uh, one point where Jason was tweeting all these ideas about what to do uh, with Twitter. Let me see if I can uh, find this this quote. Uh, and uh, Elon sent down a uh, an assistant to say, can you knock it off? It's as embarrassing. <laughs> Which is now twice uh, that uh, Jason has been has been spanked. Last week, Mr. Musk dispatched the lieutenant to the war room to ask Mr. Calacanis, who was there, to cool it on Twitter and stop acting as if he were leading product development or policy, people familiar with the exchange said. To be clear, Elon is the product manager and CEO, Calacanis tweeted, as a power user, and that's all I am. I'm really excited. <laughs> Knowing Jason, he is very excited to be in the room where it's happening and probably does not want to take any of the blame for anything that did happen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We do Twit every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. You can watch us live at twit.tv slash live. You can chat with us live at irc.twit.tv or in the Club Twit Discord. After the fact, download those episodes of the show from the website, from the YouTube channel, or use your favorite podcast player and subscribe. That's the best way to get it. We'll see you next time. Another Twit is in the can. This Bye-bye. This amazing. This week on Twit, it's the Cottage Cavalcade of Computer Comedy, featuring Baratunde, David Spark, and who's that guy? I don't even know him. <laughs> Stay tuned. Twit is next.